All right. Welcome to Review the News, episode 30. Uh, we have a wonderful guest with us tonight, at D Pinson on Twitter, Dave Pinson, also uh, Portfolio Armor. Absolutely, uh, some absolutely great uh, articles go up on Zero Hedge. Uh, I appreciate last time you fired a bunch of them to me um, after the last time we chatted. Uh, so that's good. Always good uh, content there um, on both uh, both handles and at Zero Hedge as well. Um, but uh, let's uh, let's get right into it tonight. So one of the things I know. Um, uh, I'll go back to, I guess, a tweet I had put out earlier. Um, I, I want to say maybe it was, maybe it was a two weeks now at this point when I tweeted at, uh, at, at a uh, sailor and you were like, he's got it covered already <laughs> about the, um, uh, what was it? Which, which shooting was it about? Oh, let me look it up. I think my exact phrase was on it. Yeah. Um, was it the one in DC or no? Maybe you actually wrote a zero hedge post about that. That wasn't that wasn't really shooting the carjacking. That were terrific. Yeah, the car. There. Yeah, the carjacking. <clears throat> Where the the girls uh, tased. They tased the guy. I'm yeah, and searching. now they're. Oh, go ahead. No, so I was just searching for my last name and the word on it, and see if it comes up. Uh, I'm searching on Twitter. I don't. I don't know if their search feature is good enough to get me the on it and not just anything with on in it because that's going to get a whole bunch of stuff uh, but keep going I'll, I'll, I'll search for it here so i can find it yeah so um that was and i know that's kind of old news right now we can review it anyway um but there is an update to that is that those two girls aren't going to get tried as adults they're going to try them as minors which is like <laughs> like you kill somebody and you know they're going to do like three years in juvenile hall for just yeah, they're, straight... they're going to be out. They're going to be out probably by the time they're 18 or I mean, I that... know, 21 at the latest, you would think. Absolutely fascinating. But the one thing Maybe I wanted they to learn their lesson. Yeah. Um, this the one... works, Gary. That was, that was the first thing. And then, of course, it's kind of all cascaded in. I think we had the I... – now, I mean, uh, I want to say it was Boulder before that. The Boulder shooting was before that. Yeah. Um, and then you, so basically you've had a lot of things that have basically been very disruptive to the media narrative. Um, also and, on Friday you had DC. Yeah. DC. Black Muslim. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so we're, I guess my question to you, Dave is, and I'd love your take and I, and then I'm, and then I'm going to, and then I'm going to put the cherry on top, which is uh, I'm going to talk about the Floyd trial here. Um, do you think, um, do you think the normies, or I, I don't know. I, I'm not necessarily sure I like that term, but I don't know. It, it kind of is like a, a Twitter term for regular people. It can be used as a pejorative, but sometimes I see it just as a, a Yeah, I, I don't see it as a pejorative. I, but, I think it's just people that if you're not exposed to something, then that's your normie. I mean, that's what it is. Right. Nothing bad. And, and so my, my question to you is, do you think the normies are starting to kind of get the idea of like, this, this is a totally man, all this stuff is like manufactured media? Because the one thing I find pretty interesting is like, there really hasn't been a lot of traction on the gun control stuff. Like usually there's like a spike where everybody's bought into the gun control stuff. And then after the story kind of, but it doesn't even seem like it, like it, it took off. Like you had your politicians pushing it. But it looks like normie world is kind of catching on to the fact that the, all this stuff is 
kind of manufactured and the narratives are all manufactured. What do, what do you think about, especially like the culmination of those stories? I think you're right. I, I don't think, I don't know if I, my, my theory is that America is so most of America is so diverse. Now it's difficult to get away with the narrative because most people in their real life, even if they're seeing things on the news that are, that are pushing the narrative anecdotally they know someone who knows someone who was robbed or who was mugged they know what that person who did it was in most cases and it wasn't a white supremacist so they 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 kind of it's really tough to bury that it's i don't know if the narrative is successful in that regard yeah and then I think so. I've been going to legal insurrection a lot and following their. Uh, they have a special guest uh, attorney. I probably should have wrote his name down, but he's done a pretty good job. He he comes off to me is is definitely someone who leans a little right, um, but he's still kind of putting his he's he's still putting his legal perspective on the case and um, you know his point so far is I think. It was Dave, I think it was five days on Friday. His point so far is that, boy, the defense better really kind of get their, get their, you know, what together, or they're going to wind up losing this. And he basically is like, this is, this is a lost cause already because of the fact that they politically had to overcharge Chauvin in the first place, where if they went for something that was more akin to, I guess, manslaughter or, you know, like a negligent homicide or, you know, like a mistaken homicide. I don't know the correct legal terms in Minnesota, but if they went for something a little bit less severe and even that, even then, I think they only want, they added that third degree charge, which isn't anywhere near first degree. Um, you know, do you think, I mean, are, do you, would you, what, what's your feeling on, on that case? And then what, what, uh, um, do you, do you think we're headed towards another summer of love? <laughs> I was just thinking of something you said before about normies and are they, are they getting it? Interesting tweet here. You made me think of this because it popped up in my thread when Steve Sale responded to the guy, but it was from Connor Friersdorf who writes for the Atlantic and maybe I'm confusing him with someone else, but I thought he was a libertarian. But in any case, this was this tweet. He said, and this was on the 27th. He said for almost two decades, I had the luxury of advocating for criminal justice reforms in an environment mostly characterized by falling crime and disorder. As murders, carjackings, and more spike, liberals need to figure out what's gone wrong and urge remedies before authoritarians do. And then Saylor's response was, or maybe you should ask the realists who got the big question of crime right, what you did wrong and why they were wiser than you. Yeah, that's pretty poignant. I mean, Steve's great. He, there's no one, but I, I haven't found, I mean, and the guy's meticulous. He puts all of his stuff out there all the time. Yet they, I mean, they still, kill, obviously it's like, you're a, ra- they're, you know, you're a racist at this point, everybody's a racist, but um, yeah, I mean, go ahead. No, just it's really important issue that, that Connor brings up. I mean, I, I, I think he's maybe he's younger. I don't know. He's got 64 in his, uh, in his Twitter handle, I'm not sure how old he is, but I mean, if you're, let me see, like if you're old enough to remember the, the early nineties, 
then you know things could be a lot worse than they than they have been in recent years. Uh, let me check. Well, and while you're checking there, I mean, yeah. Neil, you could probably jump in. Maybe what what you remember. I mean, I remember as a kid going in, going into the city in the '90s. You went into you went into wherever you were trying to get to, which usually for me, I was a kid. It was like, you were go, you went straight to radio city music hall. And then you <laughs> came right. You got came the fuck out of there and you got, yeah, yeah, you, yeah. you got out and it was like, and then it was like, someone, someone's like, Hey, you know, and this was obviously way before media and internet. It was like, Hey, I need everyone to say their prayers for me this week. And I got to ride the subway from point A to point B in New York city. And everyone's like, Go with God, you know. But then it got to the point, like, and people who aren't familiar with New York City may not realize this. It got to the point in, I'm trying to think as late as it was, you know, the 2010s, like 2010, 2015, something like that. It was really not uncommon. You'd go to the city, you, you go out to dinner or something, and then you would see like a young woman jogging on the street at like 10 p.m. And yeah. imperfect, and she felt perfectly safe doing it because it was crime was slow, low. It was, yeah. And they took it. They, they just kind of took that for granted. And I think that was the case in much of the country. And they just, they just assumed it was all accidental. It's just like, hey, crime is just generally low. When really, there were policies that made it low. And one of those policies, it really boiled down to just locking people up that were bad apples and keeping them off the street. And that's oh. where you got those, uh, the three strikes laws, things like that. I would go even further. And I, I don't, and I don't, this always jumps out at me in my mind. I don't know if I'm making this up or if I remember this because, again, I was younger. But I could, I, I could swear when Rudy Giuliani first got elected, the first thing he did was hire – it just jumps out at me all the time. I was like 25,000 police officers or something like that. Like the first thing he did and then the, then the second thing, right, and I could, I could be completely off base with that, but I, I, could, I could swear that the, he, one of the things he did is he went out and hired a bunch of cops – increased the size of the NYPD. And then he went and they enforced all those um, broken uh, windows. Yeah. The broken windows where they yeah. were, uh, they, they would get the bums off the steps and they would uh, clear the subway. Right. Cars. That, that, that was a big change over Dinkins. Cause Dinkins was, was, he was kind of sympathetic to, well, he, he came from the idea that, well, the low level people, they're, they're victims. You really have to get the, the kingpins. But one problem with that, Steve Sales made this point in Los Angeles, is when it comes to drug gangs, it's not like there's like some criminal mastermind running the thing. There's always another guy. So he talked about a success they had in Los Angeles. The way they did it was they just made it a racketeering thing and they brought in like a federal, state, local task force and they literally just arrested a whole gang. And they and instead of putting them in local prisons, they distributed them around the country in these federal penitentiaries where the whole thing was just snuffed out. Like they'd wipe out a whole gang and a whole street. So the, the New York version, I guess, was like you said, getting rid of the squeegee people and you, you lock people up for the small infractions and it, it creates a climate where people are less likely to do the bigger infractions. The other thing too, is that a lot of times a guy that gets caught jumping a turnstile, people that don't follow laws, just because he got arrested for that doesn't mean he didn't mug someone yesterday or attack someone and not get it. The things that people get arrested for aren't the only things that they did in most cases. These are just bad apples. That's a great point. So, yeah. So, I, you know, I go guess ahead, Todd. We went on the show that, uh, you know, probably didn't have a problem. I wonder why. 
<laughs> well, you do now. I mean, you can't go to Seattle now. And the fact that in the 1990s, who lived in Seattle? Six people. So <laughs> it was more than six people, but um, I, I, you know, in maybe it wasn't the 90s. It was like the early 2000s. I remember the one thing I would see in Seattle going out there, and this was true of Seattle, and it was true Denver too, was like young white drug addicts, kind of homeless people. You yeah. didn't really see a lot of that in New York, and they they weren't like terribly menacing, but they were there, so that I don't know what, what's going on. I haven't been there in years, so I don't know what's going on there now. Well, that's like even still when you look at Portland. Seattle, of course, has changed dramatically with the big tech and just all the attraction of everything else that that brings with it. But you go to Portland, I mean, you have the issues in Portland with Antifa. I mean, Portland is still, I think, a 98% white city. So, I mean, and most of, again, most of your drug addicts and stuff like that are – at least in certain parts of Washington, you get, um, you get a, uh, I would say a scattering of like, you know, natives. So there's one area down in Tacoma that's, uh, by the tribal area. There's, you can see there's like a lot of natives and, and, uh, whites and stuff like that. And then it gets a little bit more diverse when you head into Seattle. But I mean, a lot of these cities still, again, I go back to the Portland, um, you know, you're going to see that a lot and they're going to have the same, they're going to have the same issues. You still have the addiction issues and stuff like that. I think what's made all, uh, the Pacific Northwest even more diverse when it comes to the demographics of their, of their crime is that, um, again, Seattle was a major beneficiary of being sleepy, like a sleepy city in the nineties. They got a huge influx of cash with that came all the liberals thinking they know best. And they pursued policies, which was extremely inviting to the homeless, to the drug addicts, to, I mean, even before they legalized marijuana here in, in uh, Washington state, it, it, there was nobody getting locked. Nobody was getting locked up for a joint or, uh, you know, a dime bag or anything like that. That's just unheard of. They just didn't police it. And um, again, you know, this is anecdotal, but I would love to go back and look at the stats because I'm pretty sure they, they would bear out what I'm saying. Um, but I, I, the, the one thing is, is you would go in into downtown Seattle and they would ask the home, hey, where are you from? They'd be like, oh, I'm from Iowa. I'm from Minnesota. I'm from Illinois. I'm from, you know, it's like and not, none of it was really local. So then people then had a debate out here. And again, I, Todd, whenever you want to jump in. Um, people had a debate well they're like well real huh? well well we can't combat homelessness because they're not even our homeless they're coming from all over i mean what are we going to do you can't shut down you know it's like we're not going to shut the state down you're not gonna, just going to let people just come in and it's like well it's the policies that you had here that were that that are attracting them to come here in the first place and the fact that you could be a vagrant and just kind of live and that no one's going to harass you or move you along kind of going back to that broken windows theory yeah it, it comes down to enforcing laws against vagrancy there's a guy young guy on twitter that's pretty i don't know if you guys follow him peter nemitz yeah i know yep okay so he, he he's in los angeles he works for the water department and i guess that's part of that job he, he travels around a lot and he mentioned there was one town i'm drawing a blank on the name of it but one town in los angeles area which had no vagrancy problem and it was a town that's run by i think vietnamese or something like they they just enforce the laws they don't have that soft-hearted attitude toward homeless so you don't see them there 
Yeah. Well, it's pretty. Go ahead, Todd. It's encouraged. I mean, it's, uh, I mean, really, it, there's no. I mean, being homeless, you get uh, some perks. To be quite frank with you, they they treat you better almost than uh, some people with homes that are poor. So it's it's very interesting. Uh, I think Seattle and Portland is what the liberals want, and uh, you're seeing it basically. It, it doesn't make sense to subsidize poverty in any in any American city. I never thought that made sense. Like the whole idea of housing projects, particularly when a lot of the people in them, it's not like you need to be in a housing project in Manhattan so you can commute to your job on Wall Street. I mean, you're probably not working on Wall. You're not. So a lot <laughs> most people aren't working at all. And if you're not working at all, you don't need to be in the city. Why would you be there? Just kind of you're you're just increasing the chances of crime and that sort of thing. I mean, the logical thing to do would be put them on some federal land out in the middle of nowhere where they can get drug treatment and whatever help they need. And they're not a menace to other people. If anything, it may be being in the city with exposed to everything probably exacerbates most of those people's situation. Right. Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's, 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 there's no, the idea that everyone has the right to live everywhere, anywhere they want. I mean, in theory, but in reality, for normies, for in this case, defining people who follow laws, you you have to be able to afford to live there. So, yeah, like anyone can travel to Malibu, but you're really not legally allowed to live in your car there. Or I don't think legally you're allowed to just camp on someone's property or on the beach or something. Well, Je- Jeffrey Lebowski learned that lesson the hard way. <laughs> I still haven't seen that movie, but I, I got to remedy that. Stay out of Malibu. Well, uh, not to change the subject, but didn't, didn't New York State just this week legalize marijuana as well? I thought I heard that. Um, if that's the case, that's a, that's a big deal. And there, and your, and the law, I guess the way they wrote the law is you can smoke it out in public, which is no state has allowed that up until that point. And I don't know if they did that by mistake and they got a remedy to that. So that was the first thing the police union came out with. They were like, yo, you realize what you just passed? And everybody's like, yeah, we legalized weed. He's like, you can smoke it in public under this bill. And they were like, oh. Sounds like they're going to be stricter more- to tobacco, tobacco than, than pot, the way this is going. Yeah. I want to say one more thing about the homeless. Uh, and I've said this before. Um, but I, I play in this band and I joined the band about 10 years ago. And that was my first time um, we played it you know, all, all over the country. And, you know, I've been around, I've been to different cities, but I've never been to like all the major cities. And the thing that I really noticed the most was the homeless. They're in your, you know, they're in your, they're in your face. They're aggressive because they're crazy people. It's not that they don't have a home. It's like for the most part, these are, you know, mentally ill people. And uh, it gave me, like I would always say, it gave me a new appreciation for New York City. New York City is by comparison was so clean and just so safe and just so easy. And so it really upsets me to see that, you know, this what this pandemic has done and all the homeless have kind of taken over lower Manhattan. And then it's, uh, it's not going to be easy to clean up. I don't think. Yeah. There's a lot of na- naivete about it. I mean, uh, Seth Largo on Twitter had a good point and he said, anyone who's known anyone in their family or just friends dealt with addiction, or if you know anyone in real life, who's homeless, you know, that it's not a lack of homes that's causing homelessness. Like there's some people that think, Oh, well, housing's too expensive. People that end up, uh, I mean, just think of your own self. If you had, most people, if you got in serious trouble, if you went broke, 
you had an illness or something, you would have a family member or somebody's couch you could crash on. People who are homeless typically are people who already like burned through all that. They, yeah. they had people they could go to and they just, they couldn't handle them anymore. I mean, these are people that have real serious problems in general, addiction or other things. Well, it's interesting you say that because isn't that always, when you hear about all the me- the mentally ill on the streets, that's always kind of, they pinpoint on that. They always say that's the, that's the legacy of Reagan, right? Because Reagan, Reagan went and shut down all the mental, or during his administration, I don't know. They, I mean, like I said, they kind of point to it as a Reagan thing. Um, was, didn't the left want to do that though? Didn't the left say that mental hospitals were cruel and institutions were cruel and you got to like let people out? But it was under then, Reagan that they did all that. It, it may have been, but I mean, was it just his idea or was that like a bipartisan kind of consensus? No, I, I don't know. That's what I mean. They, they always pinpointed on, oh, well, this happened during, Re-, you know, it's. Yeah, they blame Reagan for AIDS too. But I, I think if you, um, if you look at some things, People forget what was popular at the time. I mean, a good example, going back to the crime situation, is um, people, uh, even like Biden, I think, was, was distancing himself from the 1994 crime bill that, that he voted for. And if, if you look at the time, it was popular even among black leaders because crime was really out of control and they were victims of it too. So oh, we just were- forgot all that stuff. And now we're back and hopefully we'll you know, we'll, we'll, we'll smarten up before it's too late and we won't go let things get as bad as it did then. How soon we forget, huh? Yeah. Well, the, I mean, that the whole thing was when that bill was signed, that was all the ministers, all the ministers right. were sitting behind and they were shaking everybody's hands after. Yeah. The, um, the, the congressional black caucus was in favor of it. They're the ones who wanted tougher penalties on crack. And then later on, that was like, oh, that was retcon and some kind of racist idea. So this says in the early 1970s in California, then Governor Ronald Reagan, in the interest of reducing mental health costs, closed numerous hospitals and facilities for treating the mentally ill because families couldn't care for them or families just didn't exist anymore. The mentally ill were relegated to the streets of cities and towns to fend for themselves. In Reagan's view, it saved money and reduced the size of state government. Um, and then I guess he carried that policy. It said, uh, one month prior to the election, uh, this is when he ran for president Carter had signed the mental health systems act, which had proposed to continue the federal community mental health centers program. Although with some additional state involvement consisting with the report for the Carter commission, the act also included a provision for federal grants for projects. And I guess, uh, I guess Reagan got got rid of that that's basically why they blame reagan uh for homelessness and and the mentally ill but but you know i always go back um to the best way to police that is one of the one of the best actual homelessness uh advocacy groups and areas that you can is the uh seattle union gospel mission which of course is, I think, a 501c. It's a religious-based um, group, and they, you see their vans. They drive around the city and they grab up the homeless people. They feed them. They clean them. And then, if you are willing to commit to not using alcohol or drugs, I've actually volunteered down there before. If you actually commit to not using alcohol and drugs, you they'll give you your own room 
and you can live there until you get squared away in a job and, and that. And again, um, you know, I don't necessarily think that Reagan was wrong in the sense of, uh, you know, why does the government have to do that? But if you wanted to take government, I think, um, and I would consider myself a right winger, but if you would propose something to me where you were going to take some government money and maybe sprinkle it and, and, and um, nurture uh, or give nourishment to things like the Seattle Gospel Union Mission, people who actually know what the heck they're doing when they're going out instead of some government bureaucrat, then I would, uh, uh, you know, I would support that as a taxpayer. The other piece is like I worked um, in the VA and homelessness in the VA is also a kind of tricky thing with the veterans because you are, a vet. I think you are basically a veteran the minute you step into boot camp, you're technically considered a veteran. And so you have people who don't even, who were in boot camp and got kicked out of boot camp or were already mentally ill before they went into the service. And we all know how that goes with the recruiters. They're trying to get numbers, right? And so people kind of get cycled out of the military. They never even deploy. They never even make it to their unit and things like this, but they're considered veterans now for statistical reasons. And then they wind up on the street and then people are like, oh my goodness, we have all these homeless veterans and I remember when I was working there, and this is almost 10 years ago, uh, if you were a homeless veteran and you showed up to the VA, they had about 55 programs you could get in. They get your money too. They get you paid. They get you everything. So it wasn't like there was a lack of, of resources available for these homeless veterans. And then I would talk to the guy who actually went out in the street to um, was on street teams to interview and navigate these uh, homeless veterans and it's, and, you know, some, basically that was his, um, his kind of response to me as well, which was, you know, he's like, Oh, some of these people were mentally ill before they went in. Cause you check their records. I mean, you, you can, you can look up their, rec you know, we had the power to look up people's service records, right? So anything that was in their jacket, you could see, and a lot of these people were uh, unfortunately mentally ill before they even went in. So, um, you know, there was stuff there available if you, if you qualified it, this wasn't, you know, they always, and the other things, they always make it seem like 1970s, like Vietnam, when guys came back and there really was nothing there now in, especially with Iraq and Afghanistan, there's tons of programs available. So it's just interesting how this all gets, all that all gets handled. But in reality, they use the homeless as a, as a cudgel and as a, it's just another political tool. Um, it's funny because I'm watching the wire right now. And uh, I'm in the last season where, spoiler alert, um, where uh, they're, they, they basically don't tell, don't tell us what happens. Gary. Okay. Well, I, all right. Fine. Spo I put spoiler alert. No, I'm kidding. It's the oh. show's like 15 years old, right? So basically what happens is, is that they uh, fictionalize a serial killer killing homeless people. And then the mayor grabs on this and he's going to try to leverage it. They become the governor. Right, that he's going to help the homeless. So, but anyway. So well, do you guys really, I mean, well, go ahead. Uh, go ahead, Todd. You go. Go. No, I was going to say. I, I mean, really, homelessness, like we've already said a little bit, but it has to do with uh, addiction and drug abuse. I mean, we we had somebody in our extended family that was a foster uh, child. He ran away, became eighteen, and I told him exactly what you said, uh, Gare. About the Union Gospel Mission, and he said, "You know, no, I don't want to be preached at, and they're gonna—they're uh, not gonna be able. You know, I won't be able to do what I want to do." 
and I knew what that meant. He wanted his drugs, he wanted his alcohol. So yes, there are services out there, but if you're uh, if you have an addiction, that has to be uh, taken care of, and it's very difficult to do it once you get into that cycle. Uh, Neil, what were you going to say? I was going to uh, ask if you guys wanted to uh, change lanes here, switch gears. Yeah, um, I was just going to tie it back into go for um, it. Well, no, I was I was going to do the same, but I was I was go- what I was going to do is tie this back into the crime, which was the original, the original take on all of this, and basically say that how legalizing drug usage, especially when they just did a study about how marijuana use actually, there's been a study that has come out that says marijuana use actually. Um, heightens and makes schizophrenics actually pretty violent um that the that loosening up all these drug laws is going to even make the homeless and mentally ill situation even worse because now you're going to have mentally ill people getting their hands on um you know drugs and at this point especially out here they're talking about legalizing i mean narcotics so I mean, you're, you're, you're going to have, you're really going to have some really crazy stuff going on um, in the city. But anyway, go ahead, Neil. Um, do you guys want to talk about, um, what is it, the former crown prince of Jordan, who is apparently got caught trying to uh, undermine, or as they called it, destabilize the, uh, the royal family? I hadn't heard much. I saw the story. I hadn't heard much about it. I saw Queen Noor, his mother, was tweeting that he didn't do anything wrong, but he's under arrest, so I don't know. They took his, like, phone and his internet away. That's got to be – that's pretty severe, I would think, for a former crown prince. I'm not sure. Dave, you hear anything about that? First I've heard of it. Ah. I was going to make – well, if we want to switch lanes, I was going to make a couple comments about the, the whole – the previous topic. No, go ahead. Go for it. Yeah, that oh. was, apparently that wasn't a good topic. The one I just brought up. No, no, that's it's, okay. It, it's 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 a good topic if you're going to tell us, and we'll just listen because apparently we're, I wasn't familiar with it either. It sounds like a pretty crazy story. Yeah. Uh, but just a couple things I was thinking of. One was the the move toward deinstitutionalization. It it also it wasn't just with mentally ill. It was also with mentally retarded, and I think that actually worked out pretty well. I remember um, in the '90s, I worked for a while at a group home for retarded people. And that kind of was an alternative to institutionalization where these people couldn't live by themselves, but you could have like five or six of them living in a house and then have people come and make sure they take their medicine and give them a ride to make sure they're fed. Some of them that they, they called competitive employment, like the higher functioning ones could work at McDonald's like 20 hours a week. And then the ones that couldn't function that well, they had sort of, like a workshop they could go to and do crafts well, Arc, or whatever it was. Arc, right? Yeah, right, right. Arc was uh, was involved with that too. Uh, but there were also private groups that did the group homes. So for them, it worked pretty well. Like you didn't see retarded people on the street. They were cared for pretty well. And for the mentally ill, I guess, it, it, they maybe the group home thing would have worked for them too. Maybe it wasn't done. Maybe the idea was if they just take their pills, they'll be okay and you forget to take your pill and you, you, you go back to where you were and that's just a mess. Uh, the second thing I was thinking of was you mentioned the, the, the church group 
in general, religious groups have had really good success, better success, I think, than secular groups as far as getting people off drugs. And I don't know if secular Americans are comfortable with that, but that's just in terms of effectiveness, religion tends to, that tends to help with it. The only, you were talking too about giving government money to them. My only issue with them is the refugee resettlement, which is a complete racket. But oh, yeah. that's a different in that now you're bringing in foreign problems to add to, you're, you're paying them to bring in people who are, uh, it's, it, you're bringing in other people's problems essentially. Whereas it, I have no problem if you're going to pay churches to take care of people that are already here and help them out in a way that other institutions can't. Yeah, no, well, that sentiment I, I agree with, and that absolutely I would hope would be called out. But you're right. I mean, it's a total racket, and the and the, and the biggest racketeers are I know because um, they've they've done stories. I don't know if you know know who Taylor Marshall is. Um, but he talks about the United States uh, Conference of Catholic Bishops get paid handsomely for refugee resettlement. Um, yeah, they all the, do. They all do. Yeah, the Catholic Church makes a ton of but That's their number one. That's their bread and butter right now. That's why, I mean, you got the Pope out there. Besides getting paid by the Chinese government, which the Vatican now gets, is, uh, gets infused with Chinese Communist Party cash, the, the big the big money maker especially here in the states is all the refugee resettlement and it's the irony of it all is too is is a lot of times are resettling Muslims who absolutely despise the religion but hey if you're getting paid right I mean it doesn't matter so, well one of them was the was the uh, was the Boulder shooter right when he was a little kid no oh, I did not know that is that I true? think he was a Syrian refugee he and his parents yeah, his wow. name was Alyssa, right? What yeah, uh, yeah, Al, Al. Uh, they kind Alyssa. of turned it into Alyssa. Yeah. Wouldn't you think that would be a big deal? It should be a big deal, I would imagine. Um, yeah, they, but so. Oh, go ahead. It was, I'm sorry. You know, I know in this day of media they would suppress that, but uh, that that should be a big deal. I, I just looked him up, and there's a New York Post article saying that he was laughing during the massacre, reportedly. Yeah, that was pretty uh, pretty vicious. Well, they buried that immediately. You've got nothing on Boulder now. Everything is old. Most of the stuff you're probably looking at is probably older. And the yeah, fact this that, is from March 27th. And the fact that he was on an FBI watch list, and he still walked in and bought a gun and passed the ATF thing is absolutely insane. I mean, the FBI to me, and I, you know, the FBI to me at this point has no credibility in, in, in anything they do. They cannot solve any, may I go on, I've, we've had plenty of shows where I've gone off on the FBI. It's like they don't solve any crimes unless, they have, unless they're intimately involved with creating the crime in the first place. Right, whether unless it's like, unless it's something where uh, it's, it's a rope-a-dope deal. Yeah, and the whole—I mean, they've had then, a number of those. Like, and it's the, the, there was one I remember these these barefoot Haitians in Miami. Apparently, uh, they had some story that they were going to destroy this this Sears Tower in Chicago or whatever it's called now. It's like they had no equipment, they had no expertise. There was no way they were going to be able to do anything. They really, literally, couldn't afford shoes, and they built it up as like, oh, we just kind of uh, like you talk these knuckleheads into saying they're going to do something, and, and and then they they act like they 
they they they broke a case or they they solved something. Well, many such cases. There was he, the guy. I'm sorry, no, I was going to say you just look at the governor Whitmer. That whole thing. yeah, that was a rope a dope situation too, right? Yeah, and three three. So they went and quote unquote plotted to kidnap the the governor. One dude was an actual FBI agent undercover, and then there was two confidential informants. And then at one point, <laughs> no, all three of them didn't even know. So the two the two confidential informants, how this even got like even picked up is the two confidential informants ratted on the FBI agent, not realizing he was the FBI agent because yeah. they're like, oh, there's this new guy in the meeting, and he actually showed us like C4 and all this crazy shit. You should check this guy out. And that was the Fed. That was yeah, the Fed yeah. agent. Yeah, they do yeah. that, and then it, it, I, I think I think part of the problem with nine eleven was it, it it gave this idea, or I don't know, maybe it was James Bond movies. There, there's some idea that there's these criminal masterminds. They even use the word mastermind. He mastermind this attack when it's something like a guy driving a truck over people. That doesn't require a mastermind. That just requires a psychopath taking yeah. an everyday piece of equipment and using it to kill people. That's not, oh, he was inspired by whatever. It's, if this guy says he's part of Al-Qaeda or he's part of ISIS, it's like saying you're a Jets fan. It's not, it doesn't imply any tie to the organization. It's just easy, there, easy there, buddy. Easy there. Or whatever, <laughs> Giants fan, Devils no, fan. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. You know what I'm saying. It's, it's, it's just, or saying you're a crip or a blood. It's like, ah, I'm a crip, whatever. You're just saying it. It doesn't mean there's any command and control going on there. Well, Jets and fan, a Jets fan wouldn't even get it right. They'd fuck that up too. So, <laughs> um, well, and then on top of it, when there is a mastermind, you can't even call out who the mastermind is because it's politically usually not favorable. I mean, you go back to 9-11. It's like, well, the 9-11 report, we're just going to block out the whole section on Saudi Arabia. I mean, we're just, I mean, it's like. You know, it's, it's funny you mentioned Saudi Arabia because this is, and you talk about the blocking out things. I, it goes both ways. There, there was someone saying, I saw on Twitter like a couple days ago, oh, well, you know, we never had any, uh, I don't remember any jihadist attacks under Trump. And then I'm like, not that it's Trump's fault, but do you guys not remember the Saudi um, pilot who shot up, uh, where was that? Down in, uh, in Florida, I think. He shot up the airbase. He killed a bunch of people. Like this jihadist, that's just like totally buried. Like no one even wants to think about this stuff. Well, I would also argue, too, that Trump at least went to the Saudis. And I want to say we talked about this on another show, but uh, he went to Mohammed bin Salman, uh, MBS, and MBS went and locked up half of his family and half in that part of the family, apparently, all of a sudden, it wasn't just in the U.S., but it was like someone turned off the spigots to like worldwide terrorism because nothing happened when he had everybody imprisoned in that hotel. There was that story going on for a while that he... Oh, the shakedown. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, everyone there. When he had they, everybody uh, in the hotel. And all yeah, of a sudden, yeah. they're like, no terrorism is happening anywhere in the world right now. And it's because he's yeah. got half of Saudi Arabia locked up in this hotel, all these guys that had money. And then he went and seized all the money from his uncles and stuff like that. He shook all those guys down, like you said. And and then, if you know, if Trump's making nice with this guy, well, of course, you know, of course, it's like... Oh, I'm What's not funny gonna... about that, too, if you think of the whole how how lame and how useless the journalism profession has been recently they'll look through someone's tweets for if you said a bad word 10 years ago but i mean no one investigated that you couldn't go to like the bellhop in that hotel or just like someone 
buttonhole like people at lower levels and find out exactly what happened. Like no one is that. That's just that was like a. That's an incredible story. Literally billionaires, like a guy that would be on CNBC every week. That exactly. uh, I forget his yeah. name. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, the one, He's one of the guys that gets rounded up. Right, right, right. He's like the, the big investment, the, the Saudi Warren Buffett. And yep. then he's locked up, and then that's it. You don't hear about him for a month. And then he comes out, and he's like, oh, well, you know, it's all squared away. What happened? Well, no one has any idea. Yeah, and I, and I, and that just ties into the larger thing. And, it, you know, it's a good point with the whole journalism profession. Because, you know what, though? It's easier to dig up your old tweets, Dave, and ruin you for yeah, a no. couple of good stories then actually go do the hard grift of, of an investigation of that magnitude. And besides, most of the kids, the problem is, is most of the kids are in journalism today. Uh, what's like that girl Collins? She's in CNN. Um, you know, her, she's like 20 something years old. Her oh, whole was life. the intern that, that was going after people. No, you talking about? I'm talking about like, uh, Collins, who was going after people. This is she's a CNN person now. Now they've kind of they cleaned her up a little bit, but she was going after people. This was before this. The other girl you're talking about was going after people about racist tweets, and then of course someone dug up her old tweets while she was in college, and you know they were all homophobic and racist and everything. And she had to do a mea culpa, and then CNN just kind of whitewashed it. She's out there reporting still, but. What do you expect when all your reporters are 20, you know, 25 to 35 years old who spent most of their lives in Ivy League institutions? Most of them come from upper middle class or upper class um, families, and they're not going to they wouldn't know square one about getting on the ground in Saudi Arabia and Riyadh and, and uh, investigating this. They'd have no clue that it's so much easier for them because they're already on Facebook and Twitter 24 seven for them to put a search algorithm in and see what, see what a uh, terrible person John Q public is and, and write stories and just batter that person to death. Hey, if you guys didn't see that, I just posted in the chat a tweet. Cause you mentioned, you mentioned the wire. I got blocked by the creator of the wire, uh, David Simon last oh, week. Geez. Uh, Cause you know, a really interesting story. Someone mentioned when, uh, when that attack happened in DC, just a totally memory hold situation from the late seventies with, with uh, black Muslims terrorist taking, they took his father hostage. In fact, uh, David Simon's father, they, they took him hostage at B'nai B'rith and he re, apparently he rewrote that for the plot against America, the HBO thing. He wrote, rewrote it as Klansman doing it. Like he reused that actual event from real life. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, me neither. So I, I kind of I tagged him on it, and I, I said maybe the feds and the Capitol Police, maybe their blind spot about the potential black Muslim terrorism is, is due in part to people like David Simon perpetuating this idea of this white supremacist terror that hardly exists, and they forget about more likely sources of terror. Well, I, I think, you know, to go down this road even more, I think you can go back to the CIA and... I wouldn't shock me at all. The FBI, I mean, um, they have, I'd say, who was it? Uh, was it John Hart, Hartwig or Hart something who was basically getting, what was he getting stories from the Fed or the CIA? And they had emails. It was like, was that part of the Julian Assange leaks? And they were, he was like, do you want me to clean this story up for you or something like that? I mean, the, these journalists are under the employ of the, uh, um, 
of the CIA and the FBI. It's that's not I'm, what I'm saying is not conspiratorial or, or unknown. There's been this has been proven before, especially in the in the 50s and 60s. CIA created a lot of uh, front corporations and you know funneled money. I mean, they, they would even talk about this. There's an old 60 Minutes with Mike Wallace where he's got this huge, huge uh studio size whiteboard where he's like walking through all the supposed cia companies and stuff like that someone posted the video i wish i had saved it um on on twitter and and when you when you look at again it, it's not so far-fetched to believe that there is they're in the business of of narrative crafting and why wouldn't you insert you know the the why wouldn't the feds insert themselves i mean that to me just screams of january 6 it's like they go and rewrite that whole thing. You go hire a bunch of Hollywood types like David Simon, who used to write, he used to write for the Baltimore sun, or is that the other guy who did the wire him and the, him and the other guy, one of them used to write for the Baltimore sun. One of them was just a screenwriter. Maybe I'm getting them confused, but, um, but why wouldn't you not, why would you not have someone rewrite those narrative, like those narratives and then control that narrative? I mean, that's why the whole, like what, uh, uh, Darren, uh, Beatty's doing is 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 great work just just picking apart i mean here's the other thing um i know i'm jumping around but here's some food for thought the fbi posted the video of the guy laying those pipe bombs we hear anything yet it's been it's been a month or, or at least a couple weeks since they post that video you haven't gotten any tips they brought that to the public no tips at all no movement nothing well we we hear nothing about it and uh, quite frankly uh, we know the media slants on everything. Uh, I'm not surprising there's media suppression on a, anything like that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you would think you would hear something from someplace. Well, I mean, the, the D.C. area leaks like a sieve. You're going to tell me that if the FBI had an inkling of a suspect, that wouldn't be all over the place of a guy there. You know, they still can't tell us who who, who did that yet. You know, the whole narrative was that Trump inspired all that on it with the speech the day after that happened. So anyway. Right. Exactly. I mean, it's it's very frustrating because there's more to it than that. But uh, the media does not want to dig. If they if it doesn't fit your their narrative, just like you're saying, they don't want to find out about it. Investigation investigative journalism is dead. I do, I just want to go back and then we can move on. But I do think uh, when you were talking about that Saudi pilot shooting up that base in Florida, that is pretty interesting that they memory, that they memory hold that, especially against, because they were using anything and everything against Trump. But it's pretty interesting that that one just- yeah, the narrative is more important. It's, it's, it's a good point because they would rather not attack Trump with that one thing they would rather to save their whole their whole preferred setup of, of just open borders and refugee resettlement and all that. Yeah. All right, moving on. Neil, what do you what do you have? I know you had one before. Do we wanna because I have a couple more sounded like you guys weren't really into that one, so we'll keep going. How about I just didn't uh, know about it? I mean it's an interesting story. It sounds fascinating. And I really don't know. I mean, I can tell you, I can read yeah, Just the, tell us about it. Here, you know. That's really it. I mean, he just, he got uh, in trouble for, I guess he's the half brother of the, the king of uh, Jordan. And he got in trouble for uh, him. And it said, um, I thought he was the son. 
He's a half brother. Um, it says, uh, son of the government of Jordan, accused former crown prince. I'm not even going to attempt that name. And several of his associates of cooperating with foreign entities to pursue a long-term plot to destabilize the kingdom. Uh, they arrested 20 high-level officials. And um, so it sounds like, you know, he was trying to undermine. It sounds like he was trying to get a posse together to undermine his half-brother. And uh, that could be pretty serious news, I would think. Yeah, that, that's He's under house arrest. What's that? That's straight out of a movie. <laughs> yeah, he's under house arrest. And like I said, they took away all of his uh, technology. So it sounds like he's uh, in some trouble. Well, that's kind of, um, you know, I, I wonder, I remember, what was it, uh, a couple years ago when Turkey had that, that coup and it was a failed coup, but they wind up arresting like half the military and a Turkey coup. Um, they they arrested half of the the military and they um, and also all these high level bureaucrats. And then when all these people were getting arrested, most of them were like, "I'm not involved in any coup." They don't even know what was going on, and they were all like, "Well, this is just a the, basically the coup was invented by the Turkish government Erdogan." to go out and arrest all the people that um uh, insubordinates yeah that were against so I, w I wonder if this is a similar situation where um uh that if this is manufactured by the king to kind of um you know concentrate his power and get rid of basically potential rivals or something like that but i mean i guess this stuff will unfold in the next couple of days then again if you're if you're in these families and i don't know the finances of the jordanian royal family but probably better than my finance finance if you got a ton of money it's like if i was the 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 brother of you know the sultan of brunei whatever worth a billion dollars and i'm worth like 250 million dollars like i'm okay with that <laughs> I mean, it's like it's like i'm just gonna buy a race car team and race formula one you know like whatever and just be on my way you know i i mean i don't you know it's I like even I, do that that sounds too much like work <laughs> i mean it's like that we're i don't even not we're getting I, on the yacht gary <laughs> yeah well i mean whatever i mean whatever you do whatever you want right but it's 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 like oh you, you know and have somebody yeah but he's a billionaire it's like dude I, i've got quarter of a billion dollars dude like i don't know I, I, I might have said this on the show but years ago when a rod got that huge contract and it was like more than jeter made my dad i thought had a, had a great point he goes whatever jeter made whatever a i don't remember the numbers but my dad was like what the fuck can a rod buy that jeter can't what the hell's the difference yeah. <laughs> they, both, they both can buy whatever they want and yeah. so when you get to that level of money it's so it's just right nauseating i mean when when A Rod left the Mariners, just for a second, we're going to talk oh, about. Here we it. go, Todd. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Bro. When A Rod left the Mariners for Texas, he signed a 252 million dollar uh, contract. Why didn't he sign it? I always wanted to know why didn't he yeah. sign a 250 million dollar contract? Why? Because, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Because at the time, the the biggest contract deal was Kevin Garnett. For a hundred and twenty-six million. That's a different a, sport. Let me let me finish. So the biggest contract was Kevin Garnett got a contract for a hundred and twenty-six million. And so Scott Boris, who was 
It was 126 million versus 252. Let me fin. Can I finish? No. Gag your bear. I apologize. So please don't. Please don't be mad at me. Well, I'm just saying. Like, let me finish the story. I'll get to the point, and it'll answer all your questions. I wish you would. So. So Kevin Garnett got a, had the highest contract in all sports. It was a, for 126 million. I, re, I I remember that at the time when it was signed because it was it was huge, and basically Scott Boris went in with a Rod and was like, "We're going to get double the best contract in sports." And when you add 126 to 126, you get 252, and that's why it's 252 million instead of 250. Who was that? Was he with the Timberwolves or who was that? Yeah, it was when he was with the T-Wolves. You know what? I think you told me that one time at the game. I think you actually did. So, yes. Yeah. 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 And that was the whole thing. That was the whole thing behind the 252. Because everybody used to go like, why 252 instead of 250 or 249 or whatever, right? As great as A-Rod was, I don't think he was worth anywhere near that much money. Well, until he uh... – until he got in trouble a bunch of times for juicing. Never won anything. He won one World Series with the Yankees, and he was unbelievable that year. Yeah, but he could have. You gave him two hundred. You gave him a quarter of a billion dollars for one World Series. I mean, come he, he could have been the Dan Marino of baseball, but he actually won one in 09. Because Marino he didn't make a quarter game. of a billion dollars. No, Dan Marino didn't make a quarter of a billion dollars when he never won one, but he held all these statistical records and made pretty good money. Well, if he had never gone to the Yankees, uh, getting on Jeter, Jeter's coattails and the uh, core four, this he, is wouldn't true. Have, he wouldn't have won a championship no, no, on his own. Matsui. That year, Matsui was out of this world. Yeah. He was the MVP. But, uh, but anyway, do you want to talk about um, what's going on with, uh, with your boy DeSantis with all this uh, radioactive water and the dam that's about to break? You know, I saw that, but then I also saw they were killing DeSantis for the 60 minutes. Yeah. Um, yeah and then, and that then, was, uh, that was a bitch, man. Then they went, then they went and they, and then the worst part now is, and this goes back, I think, um, to kind of what we were talking about with Dave before, how just the journalists are so mediocre. It reminds me of that scene in, uh, in Mad Max. When uh, the 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 war boy jumps from the from the leader Morton Joe's uh, truck, and he's got the chain around his neck, and they give him the pistol, and uh, the chain gets snagged in the grating, and the pistol goes flying, and he goes flying off on the side of the truck, and Morton Joe just looks over and goes mediocre, and uh, that I mean that's journalism in a nutshell, where that late that lady's claims about DeSantis were debunked in in literally two tweets in two minutes. So, uh, yeah, but I didn't. I saw the radioactive dam. He called a state of emergency. I mean that that happens in the states, and that's what governors are supposed to do. I mean that's so to me. To me, they're making it a story. I think because it's DeSantis, and obviously there's there's radioactive stuff. I think that. To me, the twist on the story is not so much that here's a governor doing something in his state. Let's let's see. Hopefully, he gets it right. Um, but this is more because DeSantis has a lot of national media following him because, again, with the COVID stuff, and I think, I think, I, I think the liberals kind of took the whole gnome backing down from the from the transgender stuff in South Dakota as a as a notch in their belt as a win because she's totally she totally shot herself in the foot 
in terms of any aspirations for 2024 by totally goofing that whole thing up. And then her, her veto reasoning and logic was idiotic. So I think the whole focus now and attention will be DeSantis 2024. I've, we said this the last couple of weeks, but um, you know, again, if Trump doesn't run or throw his hat in the ring, it's, it's DeSantis is to lose at this point. So I think they're just going to be hyper-focused on anything that happens in Florida and anything that he does. Well, see, I never really was high on uh, Nome because I didn't really know of any of her policies. I know I knew that I knew she did not put a mask mandate in there in South Dakota. And that that was uh, good if you want the nomination. But also, I any other policy I didn't know anything about what she actually uh, stood for. So uh, I mean, although I was surprised with her stance on that given the fact that I didn't really know what what she was besides the mass mandate, I wasn't totally shocked. DeSantis, yeah, he's, he's the front runner if uh, Trump doesn't run, for sure right now. What, what say you, Dave? I, I agree DeSantis is a front runner, and there was a tweet by someone, I think it was last week, made a good point about DeSantis. And he said the reason why he's popular on the right isn't that he's the most based, red-pilled guy, but he's the one Republican who actually uses his power to, to correct things. Like when, when issues come up, he uses power against it. And I think one example, well, lots of examples, but one comes to mind recently was didn't he do something with social media where he was going to find those companies? I think if they, if there was like a political candidate that they, they took off, um, they deleted their account or something like this. Yeah. And then he also did the, he wrote the executive order against the vaccine passports. Right. And, That's another example. And, and, and the beautiful thing with DeSantis to here. So here's the other thing. So sometimes it, it's like with the Republicans, um, you get like the problem with the Republicans in general is you get bits and pieces of greatness. Usually guys can't kind of string it all together. Right. But what I thought was great about the vaccine, uh, uh, the executive order against the vaccine um, passports in the same breath. And this is how, you know, DeSantis has a brain in his friggin' head in the same breath, DeSantis put out, it was a tweet or a statement or something like that. And it's like, I'm writing an executive order against vaccine passports. While that executive order is in effect, I will work with the legislature to pass a law basically encoding this executive order. So we're going to go, we're going to use the structure of government correctly. So I'm going to do this to stop it to your point, Dave, right? I'm going to use my power to stop this. Then I'm going to do the exact correct um, you know, legislative action to make sure that this is in Florida law. And it's like, like, where have you, where have you been? Like, why can you please share this with every other Republican? Like, this is how you can easily use your, like Pedro Gomez, um, or I'm sorry, Pedro Gonzalez awesome. goes off all the time about how the Republicans don't use power. And it's like, this is the perfect example. I think of what Pedro Gonzalez would talk about in terms of Republicans using their power and then going back and codifying it correctly, right? Because it's not illegal for him to do an executive order. But the simple fact he said in the same breath, 
I will use the legislature now to go and write the law so this all works and it doesn't get booted out of court and all yada yada yada. And it's like, do you think any of these executive orders that Joe Biden's writing, he's going to go to Congress and have Congress pass laws to to encode? It's like, no, absolutely not. That's why that's the difference is it's rule by diktat. Not even he's not even faking it. He's not even like, hey, I'm writing this executive order and then I'm going to go to Congress and I'm going to write a law about this. It's like I'm writing this executive order and you can uh, stuff it. And, you know, that's the end of that. I'm not even going to Congress. So um, to me, that's that's the difference. I think that shows how you wield power uh, and that, right to that person's point that you were talking about, Dave. He, he may if he get if he does get elected, I could see him potentially being more effective at getting things done than Trump, maybe because he's got you know, better sense of, of actually working with legislatures and working with the machinery of government. Whereas Trump sometimes would, he would, you know, he'd kind of uh, sound like a spectator sometimes like, well, this is crazy. Why are they doing this? Well, my friend, you're, you're the president. And his son is carrying on that tradition. He, he's got that same attitude, but without his father's great sense of humor. Gary often blames, I'm sure you know this, he, Gary often blames a lot of the people Trump decided to surround himself with while he was in office, that he had a lot of, got a lot of bad advice from people that didn't have our own interests. It wasn't all Trump's fault. Or, I mean, he, he didn't, at least initially, he didn't have a bench. I mean, he was basically a one-man show with his, with his business, it seems. It was really driven largely by his personality. And, I mean, if you think he had... Michael Cohen working for him, who even before going to jail, I mean, the guy graduated from literally the worst law school in the country. He was not a bright guy. So it's not like he had a big organization to draw from. And and then, you know, the people that were currently the, the, the permanent government showed their hostility to him. So it does raise a question. Someone like DeSantis, I mean, I don't know how many people he can, he can have to rely on. But the one thing I, I do think Trump should have done, I mentioned this years ago, is he should have started with his list of small donors. I mean, he had literally millions of people who liked him and were loyal to him. And he could have given them like a wonder look test online or something and gotten a, a number that scored above a certain level, just showing general intelligence, and then maybe screen them further and then put them in at the lowest levels of the federal government and just kind of let them rise up the ladder. And now you have some loyal people that are kind of in the pipeline. If he had done that, you know, 2024, now you've got people in more senior positions that might be able to, to implement your or, or DeSantis, DeSantis's uh, ideas. Yeah. You mentioned that in the last show. And I think the other point with DeSantis to, to go a little further um, is that DeSantis will probably bring you know, he'll, he'll probably suck out a lot of people that are in the Florida government now and basically kind of spread them like peanut butter in DC, right? He's going to bring his whole, and, and at this point he realizes after watching four years of Trump that you would think he would be smart enough to go, if I don't bring basically an army of people with me, that I'm going to get immediately swallowed in this place. And again, now we're, you know, we're, we're, we're acting as if he's, he's elected and, and ready to take office, but 
but the the point is is that i can't um, wait well yeah i mean i it would be uh, i i you know i don't as of where i sit right now i don't see a reason not to vote for what not to vote for him or not support him well there's the issue of winning elections I and mean, hopefully there'll be enough reforms at the state level that they're not going to let them get away with the stuff they did against trump uh but speaking of florida did you guys have on your list of uh, items to talk about the whole matt gates story because that's pretty interesting yeah you know go ahead neil do you have that what do you want yeah go ahead you launch it no dave you hit, hit us with it dave I, I don't even know what it is all i know is we remember the story where he had this weird situation with a teenage boy from Cuba that was living with him. Yeah. Neymar and, or something. <laughs> yeah. uh, Nestor, Nestor, Nestor. Yeah. Who I think he said was the, I don't know, the brother or something of an ex-girlfriend. I forget the deal, but he called him like his unofficial son. And, and then he adopted seemed, him, right? I don't think he officially adopted. No, him, he did. But... He officially oh, did. He? he goes, yeah, he's, oh. cause he, int- he introduced it on the floor of Congress. That was weird. Yeah. He's like, I have an adopted son, Nestor. And they're like, how old is he? He's like 19. You're like, yeah, you're like 30, 30, bro. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. if I'm not, I don't know if he, I think there were people looking into it. I'm not sure if he was ever, I don't, I don't know. I don't remember uh, if he was officially adopted, but that kind of led to some suspicion that maybe, you know, he, he was, he was a pederast or something. And then at least the the closeted, at least the closet they so the things i always saw about him was like he was at least perceived to be a closeted homosexual you know with the whole hair thing and the skinny suits and all that stuff and then of course when it comes out of the blue because before there was gate before there was yeah then then he like proposes to that woman and that's on camera at a restaurant and then all of a sudden and go ahead well no I, i was just gonna say the um the whole reason why there was he was speculated to be gay was because before gay marriage, what what guys would do in order to basically have financial coverage of each other or whatever is the older gay guy would adopt the younger gay guy as a son. And, okay. Yeah. And 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 that was something that they would do, and that was again to protect financial stuff, or basically it was the only way they could really not constant, I guess consummates a terrible word here to use for this, but to, to kind of ironclad that relationship so that to um, legalize it, essentially. to legalize it in the, in a, in a, in a effect. And I remember this because a lot of these gay guys were having trouble after Oberfell annulling. I, I don't know again, if this is the correct word, but basically they wanted to absolve the adoption so they could actually officially get married. And they couldn't because of all the weird, Anyway, so that's so when Gates, is this, when is Gates, this the, is this the the left coming after him for being a Trump supporter? Well, they're in power. I, you know, the thing is, is that he was with this guy, this tax assessor named Greenberg, who definitely is in trouble. He's definitely in trouble for soliciting sex with a minor. And so what they have is they have Gates on tape with this Greenberg guy going to a tax assessor office like off hours late at night on the weekend and uh greenberg basically um was like a high-ranking dude so he could have he had keys to get into every office and the next morning supposedly i don't know if this has been confirmed there was a mess on the desk and it looked like they were going through old ids or something like that 
But this Greenberg guy is accused of, and apparently he's talking with the government, that he had uh, was soliciting sex with minors and he was also creating fake IDs. And that's why when him and Gates went into that office, it was they were making fake IDs because apparently IDs were all over, scattered all over a manager's table, which is like, all right, if I'm making fake IDs, I'm not, and I'm like, it just, it just beggars belief. It doesn't mean criminals aren't stupid because they absolutely are, but you're just like, okay, if you, if you're a tax assessor and you can get access to any of this stuff at any of the time, why would you go on a Saturday night when you know there's cameras in all these buildings and be like, Oh, look, I'm making a fake ID with my, my buddy, the Congressman, you know, and then, and then uh, leave all the stuff out, which is what he did supposedly this Greenberg guy. And then, uh, that's why it sounds. Yeah, I mean, it sounds fishy, but then again, I look at Matt Gates, and I don't want to sound, you know, wrong, uh, or 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 make snap judgments. But when I look at Matt Gates, it's like he's a pretty weird looking dude. I mean, he, he says like some. A, he looks like he, a perv. He he says some he says some good. I mean, congressionally, his voting record is uh is is pretty good. But I I think the um want to. I think the thing with Gates was like, and then the other thing they're killing him about is he's the only guy who didn't vote against the sex trafficking bill, or he voted against the sex trafficking bill. So, I don't know. It's a pile of things. What would what, you get out of all that? Well, I just posted a link to this American conservative story in the chat, and they had some leaked texts and it's really weird stuff. Apparently there, there's an official at the Israeli consulate who it kind of sounds like uh, if these texts are correct, he was extorting gates for 25 million that he wanted to pay commandos or something to rescue a CIA agent from Iran. Yeah. Bob Levinson. It's just a weird, like, why isn't America doing that? If why, so, why would you know? That's a weird kind of deal. So that the 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 whole thing. So that's Gates's. So Gates's defense is that him and his father have been working with the Department of Justice because this Levinson, this Levinson guy, got caught in Iran, and they didn't okay. know. They thought he was dead, and apparently, this this high ranking guy in the justice department and this ex military guy were hired by Levinson's family in Israel. And basically they went to gates and they were like, listen, we're going to blackmail you. We're going to do all these things. We're going to pressure you. You need to get $25 million so we can fund Levinson's escape out of Iran. And I think the first the first thing most people, and I, I don't know what Gates's immediate response was, that was we don't even know Levinson's alive. They, they, they literally, they, the Intel community basic, basically said that they thought he was dead. But this guy working with this high ranking Department of Justice guy that were hired by the family were like, no, we have two proof of life videos that were filmed within the last year or two. And he's alive and you're going to help us get him out. And Gates basically had this huge, if you go to Gates's Twitter thread, he tweeted out this whole thing about him and his dad have been wearing, or his dad was wearing a wire. I've retweeted it. His dad is wearing, was wearing a wire talking to all these people with the feds 
in the Department of Justice. And uh, to, to, to Neil's point, of course, the feds are playing it like, oh, no, Matt Gates is under the investigation instead of and that's when Gates was like, oh, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. I'm working with the Federal Bureau of Investigation and the Department of Justice and all of this stuff. But I saw something the other day. I don't know if it was in Politico, but they're like, oh, Republicans are whispering on the Hill that Gates's time is up. And it's, uh, you know, I, I don't know what to, I don't know what to make of it. It's extremely weird. Didn't he have an aide that just resigned? You know, I'm not sure. I, I don't know. I did hear that. Um, Let me see if I can find it. I don't know uh, the, ex the extent of it because I'm, uh, you know, I, I did hear about the allegations. I did not dig into it very, very deeply. Um, but uh, his communications director resigns. Yeah, I, CBS reported that uh, actually this Sunday. Okay. So today or last Sunday? No, the, the fourth. So, yeah, Sunday. In Seattle, it's still Sunday, I guess, but I'll, I'll chat and chat. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's interesting. That's uh, brand new news. So um, we'll have to see what uh, what happens with that. I know oh, that was this morning. He's a. Yeah, I, I think I heard about it before, but it maybe it became official on Sunday. Right. I mean, he is a target because he's on television quite a lot. So. Um, it could be an elaborate strategy to keep people from thinking that Matt Gates is gay, but it's it's quite a lot of work if it's true. I don't know if that's if that's the whole <laughs> motivation for it. I never really understand how there are, there are so many House members. Why the media on both sides of the aisle go to the same people all the time? There's literally 438, I believe, uh, or 435 House members, and but you see the same 20 on TV all the time. It seems like. Well, remember with the Senate. Remember when John McCain was alive, he would be on those Sunday shows every every Sunday. Exactly. Exactly. I, mean, it was I like think some people like to be on TV. I guess that's part of it, and it, I, I don't know how that ended up working out for McCain. I mean, for most of us. Whenever he ran for president, I mean, he was, it's not like the media was on his side. Well, the, the thing of it is, though, the, uh, oh, that's the, not true. Someone that, uh, Republican that will, well, they were on his side, I guess, against Bush, but not against Obama, obviously. Well, right. But they, right. They were, yeah. So anytime McCain was out there screwing Republicans over, he was fetid. He was, that was when he was the Maverick, right? Sure. Yeah, he was but, but when, but when, yeah, but when it came to Obama, it was like the guy, you know, the guy could, couldn't, couldn't step right. You know, it's anyway, yeah. My point. Go. I'm sorry, Todd. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, I mean, I was just gonna say the the news media media likes any Republican that they think will lose, um, in a general election. So yeah, they they're gonna pump somebody up. I think that still what happened with with uh, Trump in 2015, 2016, they they had a lot of media coverage for him, never thinking he would actually win in 2016. Uh, and then that was part of why they were so upset because they were the ones that gave him the media coverage to begin his campaign. He was he even uh, Trump even uh, hosted 
Saturday Night Live in 2015 when he started this uh, uh, presidential campaign. Um, and uh, I'm sure they regret that now, but he... Right, they didn't think he was going to win, so yeah. they looked at him as like kind of a, a McCain spoiler against Republicans. Exactly. So the, the media tries, the uh, mainstream media tries to pick Republicans. They think they can build up enough to get maybe the nomination or uh, somewhere, but so they can lose in the general. The Washington generals, that's what they're looking for. Yeah, of, of course. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So let me go back to, because um, we didn't we didn't touch it. I just want to go back to um, the the George Floyd uh, trial. Where, where do you think, uh, Neil, Todd, have you guys been following any of that at all or, or no? Well, I have, but nothing re- has really changed my mind. I know we disagree on this, but uh, yeah, I mean, well, what's your take? I mean, I would like to know yours. because well, What's your disagreement, just to fill me in, because I'm not sure where you guys stand. Yeah, Todd, what's your you know, disagreement? <laughs> well, yeah, I know Gary's very uh, nuanced, very much. I'm, I'm like, yes, okay, I'm, I'm with most people, but sometimes most people are correct. He was on his neck for eight minutes, 46 seconds. I'm sorry, nothing... You can't convince me. You can't convince me. And I have said that I would not be a juror for this case because I could not be impartial enough to do it. So I'm full disclaimer. I I just don't think anything justifies that. Well, you know, they were trying to put him in the car at first to take him to, I guess, down to book him. And he said he couldn't breathe and he, he, he was feeling claustrophobic in the car. And that's when they took him out of the car and they asked him to lie down. And uh, I think the knee thing was to keep him from moving around. I think at the time it was actually part of whether it's a good idea or bad idea. It was part of the department policy. And it was like on a website for like Minnesota police or something. And then it like, they just kind of took it off the website after. It was uh, the training slides. Yeah. The training slides. Right. Exactly. So I've been, I want to just go back because I, I've been following, like I said before, legal insurrection. The guy's been doing a pretty good job. And the reason why you really haven't heard anything about the trial is they've tried to gin up some stuff, but there really hasn't been the defense. The the prosecution has actually been pretty. um, And again, this is my non-legal take has been pretty poor in the sense that uh, they've tried to come out and show, um, you know, again, like the 846, they've showed that video, I think, uh, once or twice already in the court, um, the eight, the 846 part. But um, the defense has been really good kind of swatting away um, some of the witnesses that they brought on, so much so that originally one of the um, – one of the people that was set to testify in George Floyd's defense – or in not, not that he's on trial against, I should say against Derek Chauvin has had recused himself because the woman who was George Floyd's girlfriend based on her testimony was like, yeah, that's, that's George Floyd's drug dealer. And yeah, he sold his drugs that day. So then the guy went from testifying to pleading the fifth and then didn't even testify. They had to take him off the witness list. Isn't it it a kind of a, um, a tell that uh, in, in my total ignorance, and if you guys said this already, I apologize, but isn't it a tell that they're going after third degree? Well, that's even, so 
You know what I mean? Like, well, the point is, is the point that this guy who writes for legal insurrection writes is like, even that's too high. Now to Todd's point, it's like, yeah, he should get some sort. Yeah. There's there, there is, there is at least enough evidence to pursue. Okay. Something went wrong and maybe there was some negligence and perhaps Derek Troven is guilty of something. But the fact that this got so politically charged that they even overstretched the family wanted first degree murder. And that's insane. The premeditated murder. And then what they had to do is at first they took the third degree murder charge off kind of what I was saying before they added the third degree. Then they brought the back the third degree murder charge But this guy at legal insurrections like even that's too much because it's just to, to prove that is going to be so bad. And going back to what Dave said, there's basically. So my my thoughts, I know I've said this in the show before, is I think that Derek Chauvin will have a, a spirited defense. I think he'll get something. Um, and then I think he'll turn around and sue the city and we'll settle with the city. We'll serve some time and then go off into the into the world with his money that he sued the city because if you were trained to do that technique by the police department and then you executed that technique and then they're going to turn around and basically bill of attainder you and say, and then prosecute you for something that they taught you to do. Well, then I'm going to sue you because you, you treat, you train me wrong. And then you sent me out to the world basically with bad information. And I went and I cost somebody's life. Didn't like the, the chief of the police testify against them or something like that? Well, a lieutenant, so a lieutenant testified against them and uh, a booking sergeant testified against them, but it really has no bearing because after, so what happens in, in Minnesota and Minneapolis is that after there's a situation where a suspect is critically injured or killed, the, the, they automatically take it the, the case automatically stops getting handled by the Minnesota police department. They, they do, they put things in administrative boxes and then they send these, this information to basically Minnesota's version of the FBI. And then they immediately take the, the case over and they, they look at the circumstance of the death and then they look at the officer. And then based on, so if, if this, so if this was a, a better world where, things that happen are supposed to happen in the natural course of events. Troven would already be basically suspended. I don't know with or without pay pending this investigation because of the, the use of force. So there's all the, all many Minneapolis already has all these checks and balances in their process for a situation like this. And it totally removes the police department out of the way. So you have a Lieutenant, and a sergeant who basically shuffled some paperwork to the Minnesota's version of the FBI. And they, 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 they were not on the scene. They weren't anything. And they were just basically asked like in your opinion, in your training, in your, um, you know, they asked the Lieutenant, they were like, do you think this chokehold would have killed somebody? And the Lieutenant's like, yeah. And then they were like, well, basically when's the last time. And then when the defense guy, they were like, when's the last time you were in the field? He's like, well, I'm a, I'm, I'm a homicide detective. So I'm really not out in the field a lot. And it's like, you know, it's like, well, okay. Cause the you could, picture, you, I think, go ahead. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, no, I'm just saying like, that's like call me to the stand and say, Gary, do you think, you know, do you think that chokehold could, you know, could kill? So yeah. It's like, well, 
have you ever done that? Well, no. Have you been trained in that? Well, yeah, I took some training once on the use of force, but you know, it's, it's my annual training. That's a 12 hour PowerPoint slide. You know, it's so, I mean, again, the, the one other thing I want to bring up is that what's interesting is that the prosecution has 12 attorneys. So each attorney basically has a couple of witnesses they're assigned and the defense only has two people. So Chauvin only has two attorneys defending him and the prosecution has about 12. It's crazy. Go ahead. Did, didn't Floyd's autopsy say that he had one artery, major artery, that was like 95% blocked and he also had lethal uh, doses of fentanyl in his system and I think COVID. He's like the only guy that died last year with COVID but not of COVID. Um, yeah, no kidding. So I, I shouldn't it, laugh, but uh. yeah. And, and did you guys see the the video of him in the convenience store before the arrest? Yes. Dancing and acting like he was he was like high as a kite. I, I'm reminded a little bit of the case in uh, in Staten Island a few years back with the guy selling cigarettes. Oh, uh, Eric large Garner. Black. Yeah, Eric Garner. So what they both have in common is you got large black men who don't want to be arrested. And despite being large and requiring a lot of physical restraint to, to, to try to arrest them, are in fragile health. So it's, it's kind of a wicked combination. You got a really big guy who needs to be restrained if you're going to arrest him. And then if you do restrain him physically, he's kind of in precarious health to begin with, and he could, he could die from that. So what do you do? I mean, I don't really know what the solution is. I think ordinarily, I, I, it just doesn't seem to me that, that this, this, that Chauvin is guilty of anything. If he's following department procedure to restrain the guy this way, I mean, what if he didn't? What if he didn't restrain him at all? And Floyd got up high as a kite, ran into the road and got hit by a car. Now they're going to charge uh, Chauvin for not using this kind of hold on him. It just seems like kind of a no win situation. Well, I think so. Here's the other thing: Derek Chauvin's only five foot nine, 143 pounds. George Floyd is six foot three, 223 pounds. And I read that on on the legal insurrection. I when I read how big, when I read how tall Chauvin was, I was like, holy shit! And they're all and all three of the other the other cops were around Chauvin's size. So I was like, oh, geez. And then and then the problem was is that. When you go back and you watch the full body cam video, don't they show now Chauvin's I think has been out there. I don't know if the other cops full body cam videos have been out there too, but the reason why Floyd wound up on the ground like that is he kicked one of the other cops when he was resisting and they went to go get, they went to go get, I think the other two cops, the reason why they left and weren't in the scene and Chauvin was kind of there pinned with him pinned down with his knee on his neck for uh, how long Todd? I don't want to get it incorrect. Eight minutes and 43 seconds or 46 seconds, was it? Eight minutes, 46 seconds. Okay. So the reason why Chauvin was there for eight minutes and 46 seconds was because they had they went to go get a uh, leg lock. The two cops went to the other car to get a leg lock out, I guess, of their kit. Well, how fucking um, far away was the other car that took well, I well, I don't know because when this all transpired, they were they he, they got him coming out of the convenience store, and then he wasn't. But then they would try to wrestle him to the one cop car. So who knows if the other car was was away? And then who knows, you know, when they're trying to get the uh, um, when they're trying to get the leg lock device. Um, what what hasn't been told is that the crowd actually started to get uh, unruly, and the crowd was so bad that when the EMTs finally showed up, they, they didn't even attempt 
to resuscitate George Floyd at the scene. They didn't even try to treat him at the scene. Uh, there's kind of, I don't know if he was still alive at that point. They didn't try to treat him at the scene because the crowd was so bad that they had to load him into the ambulance immediately and drive a couple blocks away. And then they started to try to resuscitate him and treat him. And, and, and so, I mean, to, you know, is it the crowd's fault too? Because you can't, you're not even allowing the EMTs to get in there and do, and do your job and do their job. So, you know, I mean, go Todd, go. Well, it's going to be interesting. I've uh, been pulling the uh, uh, case on court TV. Uh, everyone deserves their day in court, and there's going to be a vigorous defense, obviously. So I'm going to be um, keeping keeping an open mind as much as I can uh, to see what defense uh, they can put on and go from there. Uh, it's just uh, very hard. Uh, it, the the uh, hole itself is not what most people are, you know, you know uh, disagreeing with. It's the amount of time he had him in that hold. And uh, I mean, uh, whether that would be a reasonable amount of time to, to end the uh, threat. And most people, you know, obviously think that eight minutes, 40 seconds, seconds, that's well beyond the amount of time that, that would have ended the threat to, to the uh, police officers. That's because most people have been police officers before and they would know. That's because most people have been in that position where they've had to detain someone before and they I would know. To, that's easy to say, but I mean, that's not what's going on with the social issue right now, right? But the social, so I, I think the whole George Floyd thing is a psyop, to be honest with you, because all of a sudden him out of all the situations in the entire country becomes the, the match that lights the fuse that creates BLM for the entire summer um, during this COVID pandemic. I, I, I mean, I, I, that's my person, that's my personal opinion. I think there's something deeper to this than the actual, the actual case itself. Right. I think there's uh, basically, and not to, not to tease Todd so much, but I, I think there's, there's, there's reasonable arguments from Todd, from what Dave's saying in terms of like, okay, there's really, you're, you're stuck between a rock and a hard place. Is there going to be something that comes down on Chauvin? Perhaps, perhaps in a perfect world, it would be some sort of administrative thing. Um, perhaps maybe there would be some, some time for manslaughter or something like that. Right. But we know because of the, the political and social implications that this is going to be, um, you know, watched through a microscope. And I think that um, you know, again, I, I am very curious as to why this case, especially, you know, what I, what I think it would be interesting is like, why not, and I don't know how many red Republican cities are, um, probably not that many in the country, but at least a city with a Republican, like, why wouldn't something like this happen in that city? No, you go to basically one of the darkest blue states in the country in one of the darkest blue cities in the country and this transpires yet it's the white people in the red states fault that this all happened i mean that's to me like that that to me is like this has got something written all over it that is it's a total it's a total style and we're going to talk about police brutality it's like 
and I've been on the show um, numerous occasions, and Neil and Todd both know this, I'm not a defender of the police by no means. I mean, I am not a special pleader for police in general. But this just reeks of basically they're going to railroad. We grew up in some rough streets, Gary. Well, that's not what I'm, that's not my point. Um, But it was real. The, the, the fact that if you look at the crime now, if they're not actually, I mean, what did, what what did uh, the police do for that Asian woman who got her pelvis broken the other? I mean, I can see a left, right horseshoe when it comes to defund their police. If the police aren't going to protect you, then what's the point? Or if they're just only going to be used in a kind of an anarcho-tyranny situation where uh, there was a case, I think it was in Portland, where uh, a guy was, an older gentleman was driving an Antifa, threw rocks at his car, and they maced him, and then he pulled a gun on them, and the police arrested him. Things like that. If the police are just going to go after law-abiding people and they're not going to defend them, from from the rabble then all right fine to fund them i mean it's not going to work out the way you want because the the people that it's just not gonna you're not gonna like the the people that on the left that are calling for defunding the police are going to be a lot worse off than the people on the right let's put it that way well i i would not want to be a police officer not that i could but i wouldn't want to be a police officer in a blue state or city like seattle or portland because you're darned if you do, and you're darned if you don't, because you're not going to get much, uh, much um, help or uh, consideration from either the news media here or the public or anything like that. So, uh, let's put it this way: you, you go to a part of there's a part of the state where there's Trump signs. It's a rural area. If all the police disappeared tomorrow, these people's lives wouldn't change at all. They don't lock their doors. They're armed. They don't have criminals there. They don't have to worry about it. So where it's going to change is it's going to change in the blue cities and the blue states. I mean, that's where it's going to change because now you're going to need a different way to deal with crime. Well, you and there that, are other solutions, but you know, it's it's not going to be. You th- you think you think uh, you think the soy boys who are walking to get their uh, you know seven dollar coffee in downtown you know, name your city in this country are ready to go out and defend themselves if there's no police around? They may not be, but they're going to have to come to another another arrangement. It may be... Well, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, no, to your point that, and I'm sorry, I don't mean to um, step on you, but what you'll see is what, what um, uh, I think before he was booted off Twitter, this was a way while back, we've talked about him before, uh, Second City Bureaucrat, he, oh, was, he needs to come back. I messed that guy. Yeah, I don't even was, know what the one tweet was to kick him off. Yeah, I don't either. But he, he was tweeting about when um, – what's her face? Uh, Lori Lightfoot had uh, – she was having, what, that whole beef with the police, and then she went and hired private security and had private security based on, I think, there was something going on with her police detail because she wasn't given the – she was, like, blaming the cops when they were rioting in the Miracle Mile and stuff like that. And Thomas, so she triple seven was telling us that too, wasn't he? Yeah, that may have been. Yeah, he may have he may have mentioned that as well. I, I think he did. Um, but she had private security. So what you'll see is basically the the people who walk around. Uh, what you'll see is the soy boys will crack open their trust funds and they'll all have private security as they go get their coffee. 
in the city and everybody else, the people that they advocate to be for will be left, you know, to Dave's point, fending for themselves. Well, I mean, you, you know, there are ways to, to have security without police. Uh, my sister years ago lived in an Italian neighborhood in Brooklyn before it was gentrified. They didn't have any crime. So it's just I don't think the left is kind of going to like those kind of, kind of solutions. It's true. Our, our friend uh, Kevin, um, I, I don't know if we mentioned him to you. He, he was on the show. He's from uh, – well, he lives now. He lives in uh, St. Paul, Minnesota, and – Guy, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't he tell us that like the cops aren't like coming when you call right now and stuff? It's like it's pretty it's they don't know what to do. Yeah. That's how I took it, at least. That there he said he's like, people are up in arms because you just call the cops or something and they they don't show up. Well, he said the same so going back to the whole DC thing, he was saying, if I remember correctly, wasn't he saying like people are like breaking into cars and like doing a lot more of that stuff because yeah. they know the cops aren't gonna show up. Yeah. Well, so, that's also the, the rise of carjacking nationally in D.C. That's related to that, too. I mean, that wasn't that's like a 90s thing, carjacking. I mean, you didn't hear about that until I think the number was up to 350 percent in D.C. alone in the last year and up like 100 something the year before. It's, it's a newer it's, carjacking it's, or car theft, carjacking. Yeah, I think they're doing theft, too. But you're seeing more not just carjacking, but you're seeing more. Of those kind of um, those kind of crimes where they're not trying to avoid people, they're they're doing home invasions. I mean, Glenn Greenwald had a post about that recently. There was some Asian woman in Berkeley or somewhere where like some people came in and they tied up her family and they they were That's ransacking crazy. the house because apparently something like that happened to him in in Brazil a few weeks ago. Or I mean, it's Brazil, so it's well, Brazil's he, Brazil. I mean, Brazil's right. Crazy. Brazil's Brazil, but he was making a point that. This is pretty unsettling when it happens. And in America, I don't think home invasions were all that common. I mean, when they happened, there was a really brutal one, I think, in Connecticut or somewhere. A really horrible story. And the, the women were raped and the, the father was beaten. And I think they ended up eventually catching the, I think it was like some Haitian or something. I forget the details. Um, but it made the news because it wasn't like something that happened all the time. So more of that is happening now. And... If the police aren't going to defend you against it, then what's the point of having them? I mean, there's cheaper ways you can come up with your own arrangements, I guess, and then not pay the pensions and all and the, and the court cases and all that stuff. Well, Kevin was also saying in Minnesota that even though they have a, you can have a gun, you have to. It, but the way the law is written out there, you have to uh, do everything. If I if I'm saying this correctly, you have to do everything in your power to not harm the person that has invaded your house. Because he compared it to Texas because he went to school, to college in Texas and he said that um, in Texas you could shoot somebody for invading your house, whereas in Minnesota, if somebody breaks in your house, you shoot them, you go to jail. Yeah, it's the castle doctrine. Yeah, There's no castle doctrine in Minnesota. And like I was he telling was him last time, they got rid of the castle doctrine in Washington State because guys were getting guys were robbing houses and getting killed for it. And of course, the left then wanted to stop God. They were like, well, you know, they do the whole... He was just stealing stuff to feed his, you know, three kids. It's like bullshit. You're not, you're not, you're not uh, home invading somebody. He's stealing three- shit out of the refrigerator or, or yeah, what? Yeah, you're not, you're not, yeah, you can't eat a TV you're, you're running out down the street with. So it's like, you know, no, it's, it's the whole thing. Well, they, you know, again, they, uh, not to take this into a, a different direction, but I, it's, uh, you know, but I will, but it, it's the whole, um, 
<clears throat> what they do is again they 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 push this psychological narrative on you in the sense of what was that movie with Christian Slater and Kevin Bacon and he wound up being Kevin Bacon winds up being this crazy criminal that they're going to send to Alcatraz and they're going to kill him because he, mur he murdered this dude in prison with a spoon and he's nuts. And then you go back and you so find this. No, they go back and they find out that uh, Kevin Bacon, uh, his character, the reason how he wound up in prison in the first place was that he, he went to rob a general store because him and his, younger sister were were um ran away from an abusive foster family and he when he robbed the general store he stole he actually robbed he didn't rob money he took food but there was a post office in the general store so he was convicted of like a federal armed robbery crime and they sent them to like this terrible prison and of course he he went and lost his mind and became like this hardened criminal and the whole time he like he, he just kept like killing people in prison and being the psychopath because he was institutionalized. But they, they set this, they set this narrative up as like everybody that does a home invasion at three in the morning has a young foster sister that they're trying to feed because she's trying to escape an abused home. When in reality, that's so far from the truth. And so the liberals kind of use that narrative to get rid of the castle doctrine out in Washington state. And that's why they don't have it anymore. And that's kind of what Kevin was talking. Sorry, that was a long-winded thing. But it just goes to the point that they treat it always like as these people are, again, I think even Dave was alluding to before, is that they're victims. These people are victims of society. And they're, they're forced to do these things when we all know with our own, we see it with our own two eyes. You know, it's not the truth. So anyway, didn't mean to go off on a long, long tangent there. It's a fine line, right? I mean, there, I'm sure there, those, there are those stories, but you can't like change the laws for those unique stories, right? Yeah, but that's where judges have leniency. It's like if, if, if someone does a home invasion at three in the morning and they legitimately are trying to feed, you know, that comes out in the case, well, perhaps you ask for... Again, if they're breaking into my fridge at three in the morning, it's different. And, you know, like Dave said, what are they, they raping the, the, the females in the family? And come on. Yeah, I, I just posted links to two of them. And uh, I had two confused. One in Connecticut in 2007. There was one, uh, I think, a few more recently in D.C. And the, the perpetrator of the one in D.C. wasn't Haitian. He was from Guyana, I think. I think he'd worked for the guy. No, he was the boyfriend of the daughter, wasn't he? Boyfriend of the daughter, was he? Um, maybe both. Let me see. Hold on. The Guyana one. We're talking about the DC one. Yeah. D DC one. Let's see. Hold on. Uh, I mean, bad news in any case. He was, let's see. Yeah. Darren that... went, he worked that... at one of his businesses, was arrested. I thought he the was an employee and a, was he a boyfriend and an employee? Well, I thought the, the parents had an adopted daughter and she was dating and one of the home invasions, it was like that. Uh, I don't know if it was the Guyanese or the Haitians or the girl was adopted and these two parents and they wound up, everybody wound up getting killed. But I, I don't know, maybe, I, maybe I'm confusing it too. Well, I, po I posted both links in the chat. It's, I see that, yeah. it's, it's, it's not, not good stuff. No, it's hard. I, I'm going to save the chat because uh, I think I'm the only one that knows how to do that. So I will do that. 
Oh, speaking of uh, crime, police, all that stuff, you guys remember the Ahmed Arbery case from last summer? Was it last summer? Yeah. Where he was uh, the jogger, allegedly, and then they, the, the, the two gentlemen or the three gentlemen went after him. And one and of them he, had a shotgun. Yeah, and he, they lunged, he lunged, he lunged the at him. Right. Well, it just came out, I guess, in the trial or something, that he had a whole bunch of robberies under his belt where he would pretend to be a jogger. Like he would stretch in front of a convenience store or something, and then he would run and steal something and leave. And they were, it's, they were actually calling him the jogger. Like that was the name for him. for Because he had sort of committed a string of crimes under the guise of jogging. Well, I think, you know, it's funny because uh, um, there's this guy who, who writes for Red State. His name on Twitter is Jeff on the Right. And he wrote this whole thing defending Ahmed Aubrey and saying, and this guy is a so-called conservative. I kind of have take a, have a little beef with him. Cause Matt Walsh did initially too. And then he got really, he flipped the other way and everything. Well, that's because he got, you know, Walsh got ratioed to oblivion, but yeah. I don't think this guy has enough. This guy isn't at the same level with, with Matt Walsh in terms of following. But he writes this whole article about how, you know, uh, Ahmed Arbery actually had sneakers on and not work boots and, and all this, and all this stuff. And, um, the interesting thing, cause I think I read that article, Dave, the people who were calling him the jogger is the same people that in the neighborhood that Ahmed Aubrey lived. Cause he lived with his like grandmother or something like that. And one of the stories was, is they actually caught him like a couple houses away from the grandmother's house that he was staying at looking in somebody's window, like put, trying to pry open somebody's window. When they went and they confronted him, he, he couldn't answer him. And then he took off running. And, and it's like, if, if people in that own community, cause this was, cause apparently when he got shot and killed, this was uh, a couple towns away from where he was from or something like that. I yeah. think that, but, but everybody in his, I think the theory town, was someone, a Confederate had dropped him off there or something. Because he probably didn't jog miles over there in his work boots or whatever he was wearing. Yeah, and and so yeah, well, of course. I mean, that's the problem is like the media gets their hit, they get their they get their take, and then they're done with it. Because no one's going to come back and go, "Hey, we were wrong about this reporting." You know, I mean, no, no one's going to write that. Well, the media has a narrative to push, and and, and they their their whole narrative. I mean, you guys know is that blacks are persecuted. So if they find anything that looks like a, a man bites dog story, they're going to jump on it. And in this case, the, the way they kind of did it was this is an innocent young black jogger and a couple of men for no reason went after him and shot him, gunned him down. And yeah. Do you remember uh, on Twitter when people were posting how they like to go to a band, like job sites and walk Matt around? Matt Walsh did that. Matt Walsh said it's a guy thing. To go into, yeah, what what guy doesn't go into a construction site and wander around? You know, they're okay. building. A, <laughs> I mean, they're Are building a house right down the street from me, and I have no compunction to go on to a yeah, job. It could be dangerous too. I mean, it's, I was, it's, and it's also. I remember two of these 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 white women on on Twitter. They had a hashtag. I'll, I'll jog with you or something. Uh, like they would. They that if he were alive, they would have defended. Matt Arbery from the from the racist white like, southerners. 
gunning down black people left and right. <laughs> it's just so, it's so bizarre. It, you have to laugh at it. I mean, it is just like I remember reading that and going again to me. It's like just comments. It's like, have you ever been on a job site? It's like there's nails, there's stuff, there's crap all over the place. It's yeah. like unless it's my build or I gotta be there. I don't want anything though. I'm not kidding. There's yeah. one down the street. They're building a, you're going to build this big house, big house. And it's like, I drive by it every day. And actually people get annoyed when that gate isn't closed on the job site because yeah. people don't want kids wandering in, right. Getting hurt. And you're going to tell me that every man just stop. Hey, look at this job site. I'm going to just stop and wander through here and check out the, the layout and the boards and the what the, the hell? integrity you, you wouldn't know what you were looking integrity. at anyway <laughs> yeah matt matt walsh home inspector i mean come on it's I, mean, it's just, just, I just remember that going on for a week going like these people are absolutely insane but whatever yeah. that's that's uh, i mean I'm, the big picture in america that's that seems to be leading to a lot of conflict is you've got one group that wants to be policed lightly and then you've got another broader group that wants to be protected and it seems like you, you can't reconcile those in the same place. Now, if we lived in different places where there was one part of the country that was policed to the point where crime wasn't allowed, and then there was another part where there was kind of a light touch policing, so the, the, there was more crime, but there was less enforcement, and people could decide where they wanted to live, that would be a solution. Yeah, I don't. Th I don't think so. I don't think that'll ever. I mean, you got, but you kind of have that in in regards to. We have that. We have that here. I believe we have that. Yeah, I was just gonna say. You know, I'm. I'm say again. Do we have that where? Uh, Washington State, Seattle. I'm. You know, I. I don't think they're gonna really throw the book at you from much of anything here. I mean, okay, I, so we now we just need the places where they will throw the book at you. But I, so got both sides up. So I, I will, uh, let me give this, uh, um, I'll give this anecdotal story. So you actually have places like that in, you have the opposite in Washington. So I was, um, I forget, I think I was driving out with my wife to Washington State, which is Washington State University, which is on the complete other side of the state. Pullman, and Washington. Pullman, Washington. And to, and to get from Pullman. Seattle to Pullman, it's about, yeah, you're almost in Idaho. And there's one county called Adams County. And uh, I got a, of course, I got a speed. Don't say shit, Neil. I got a speeding ticket. What a fucking surprise. Um, I got where a speeding. You, where were you driving? I think I had the, um, uh, my old Oldsmobile. So I was doing like probably 90 in a, in a white Olds one. Yeah. The old white one. I didn't know you had that thing out there. Yeah. 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 I drove, I drove it out from nice Fort car. Riley to. She was smooth. Uh, she was a smooth sailor. That yeah, guy. it was. It was great. Obviously, got the big plush leather seats. You know, yeah, old. You know, when Oldsmobile was. You know, an Oldsmobile. So I'm doing. Uh, I'm doing probably ninety and a seventy, and I, they got the truck lanes right, so you can only pass at certain sections. And it's like I don't want to be behind these trucks. So I'm doing. I'm doing like ninety. I get pulled over. The cop gives me a ticket, so I was like, "Oh, I'm gonna call their bluff, you know. I'm gonna show, I'm gonna show up to court." So I drove like three and a half hours back out to court <laughs> to see if the guy would throw throw the ticket out, because I figured if I show up, there's a chance he'll just throw it out, right? Probably cost me more in gas and everything anyway to go out there. But you were so, probably speeding on your way to court. Too. Absolutely, 
Yeah. You're not gonna what you can't, you know, it's like lightning doesn't strike twice. Yeah, right. So uh so I go out to Adams County Courthouse and uh before before I I I get up to the docket for the judge, the judge is talking to this kid who just got popped with like an ounce of pot. And this is literally what the judge said. He goes, Let me tell you something, kid. He goes, if you got caught in King County with this amount of marijuana, and King County's where the city of Seattle is, he goes, if you got caught with this amount of weed with uh, in King County, he goes, they probably let you walk out of the courthouse. He goes, but this ain't King County. He goes, this is Adams County. And he goes, in Adams County, we, we follow the law, and the law says that this is illegal, and you're going to – this was like way before, obviously, they legalized everything statewide. He goes – and he threw the book at the kid. And uh, the kid was like, are you kidding me? Because he must have been driving. He must have been a college kid because there's a couple colleges out on this one one road that takes you straight out to Idaho, like what Todd was saying. And, uh, boy, this kid's face, he was like, like basically like big F. And, uh, you know, he's looking at the judge. He's like, oh, your honor. He's like, come on. It's like, this is not, you know, he's like, yeah. He's like, yeah, if you were in King County right now, he goes, they'd probably give it back to you. And you'd walk <laughs> out. And, and, uh, and then I was like, holy smokes, I'm not getting out of the speeding ticket. <laughs> so lo and behold, I, no, I didn't. He, he was like, yeah, you were speeding, pay your fine, get the hell what out of man. my courtroom. So well, honestly, people don't know this, but in blue West coast, quite frankly, in Washington state and Oregon, both the Eastern parts of the state are very conservative pretty conservative and i would even argue from what i've heard the rural part of california is also pretty conservative oh yeah up by sacramento yeah people don't realize that yeah there's nobody that the problem is, is the numbers game right because in washington state you can win every county outside of king county and pierce county but if you lose king and pierce county which is where the two biggest well i guess olympia but if you lose pierce in King County, you lose. If there was an electoral college in all these blue states, you'd have Repo you'd have at least a Republican legislature, a Republican governor. That's another story for another day. Exactly. But going back to Dave's point, yeah, I mean, you you kind of have the rural-urban divide, and where you get more. But to your point earlier, which was, you could pull the cops out of the rural areas, and guess what? Those people know how to police themselves, and uh, police anyone else coming into town. So they really, the police is just an added bonus. It's one less thing they have to do on the way to the store to get feed. So let them um, handle the COVID restrictions. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Let's go. One last topic. I know it's getting late for you East coast guys. Um, and I know, the, is it I know the, the guns, the Gonzaga beating uh, UCLA? At no, the who cares about that? I won money. I, I had won a pool. Great game last night. I want to talk about this. I won. That last shot was was amazing. It's crazy, right? And I won. Yeah. It was. I I won uh like three hundred bucks because of it. Oh, congratulations! Thank you. I I won um, I won like seven fifty off of uh, seven dollars and fifty cents off of Gonzaga and Baylor both winning. But then I lost another like a five dollar bet or ten dollar bet actually, on um. Gonzaga winning by like Gonzaga minus ten. It was like some special boosted in DraftKings. Yeah. Where it was ordinarily it was like minus three hundred, but they were gonna give you plus one hundred for that. And then they what they went by two or something. They won no three, three, right? They yeah, won by three because that was yeah. a three pointer, yeah. From I like 
out in nowhere. Yeah, by half court. Like I didn't know that I was even in the pool. My father just signed me up in this in this pool, and he texted oh, me last awesome. night. He's like, "Hey, you won." I'm like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" That's so, awesome. Congratulations. I, so I, thank you. Yeah, it was it was fun. It was fun. But, so, uh, so what I wanted to talk about. No, I want to. Okay. Fine. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. No. Go ahead. No. no you're right. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, no, you're. I don't know. I'm just trying. I don't know what your last topic is, Gare, but I'm not going to let you go without talking about the uh, Major League Baseball. That's son of a. <laughs> Thanks, Neil. All right. So my last topic is is uh, I want to I want to w- get everyone away, and I'm sure everyone has an opinion. Hold on, hold on. Um. Uh, on Major League Baseball and the whole debacle now in Georgia. Um. Oh, it's allergy season time out here. Thank you. Um, Hopefully we didn't catch that on the recording. Uh, And the fact that I guess people are saying it's harder to vote in New Jersey and New York than it is Georgia still with this new law. Yet everyone is making a big stink about Georgia. What do you, what do you, what do you think, Dave? Do you think corporations, and I know we're talking about major league baseball in particular, who I, I think Manfred's been an absolute disaster. Todd and I were texting about this last night before we even got to this point. I think some of the things he was trying to do and in institutionalizing baseball have been bad. But do you think do you think the corporations are going to overplay their hands? I mean, I know the president for President Trump came out and was like boycott base, boycott everything, start boycotting these businesses, Delta, Coca-Cola, all this stuff. Um you know, where, where, where do you see the end game with this? Where, where are we going with all this? Didn't the, the, the I'm hearing kind of conflicting things. I think the Georgia Assembly posted some sanctions, passed some sanctions against Major League Baseball, but then the, the Georgia Senate adjourned the next day, so that didn't, that didn't go anywhere. Is that the case? That was Delta. So they were going to pull Delta's well, tax Delta? breaks. Okay. And then, yeah, the Senate, of course, punted by not doing anything. I think it's going to be as DeSantis waited on us yet, because I feel like if someone's going to do something substantive, it would be DeSantis. Like, has he done anything about the MLB in, in Florida? I don't think anything has gone on because they haven't – because Florida was smart and fixed all their stuff in 2018. So the voting stuff hasn't come up in Florida. So there's really no beef in Florida. So I don't think DeSantis has had the way in. I, I, I think it's – you talked about waking up normies before. and I, I mean, I don't know what would do it more, Major League Baseball, particularly not some uh, – the kind of never-Trump or Republican types. Because a lot of those guys are big baseball guys. Like there's the guy who's got the baseball – with a, the face on it as oh, his Mc, Twitter handle. McLaughlin or whatever? or Dan, whatever it is. Yeah, Dan yeah, something. Yeah, the, the lawyer guy. So, anyway, George, going back, George Will, huge baseball fan. So, at some point, if, if, if baseball is weighing in, and not just baseball, it looks like, I guess, I think Steve Kerr. Well, I mean, Steve Kerr. Yeah, Steve but he's Kerr. an idiot. Yeah, he's, he's kind of – I think that – that's got to wake people up and say, "All right, these companies aren't on our side. Let's let's take a let's let's act against them." I think Trump understood they weren't on his side, but I, he didn't really act against them substantively. He I mean he he spoke out against them, 
So if a, I think a Republican, if a governor takes a stand against them, maybe that'll snowball. Maybe someone like DeSantis does it. And then people are like, or the guy Kemp in Georgia, if he, if he grows a backbone and, uh, and, and it becomes his popularity rate goes up, then maybe others will do it. I, I think they have stepped too far. Well, I, I've always thought that uh, baseball is kind of uh, kind of a conservative conservative game. It's kind of Americana, so I I would think you're angering your base. Wait, if you're major baseball, they may not understand that. And I think Manfred's just listening to the corporatist, and he's uh, probably a Democrat himself. But I think the rank and file, your MLB fan. I think skews more conservative than he may believe. And I think that's where you're going to see uh, the backlash. You I- know, kind of a meta, a meta point about this, which is interesting, is that it's the liberal reaction. And they, some of them think it's, they, they don't even grasp that the corporations are on their side because it, it would just break their, their, their minds that they're actually on the same side as corporate America. And the They'll take their money, though. That. Yeah, but I mean, like, just regular liberals are like, oh, these Republicans, they don't get it. They don't, they think, like, they're, they're doing all kinds of rationalizations, like pretending that this is a grassroots thing when it's not. I mean, obviously, I think voter ID has something like 70% approval from, from like, average voters. So it's, 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 to, to be against voter ID is a total fringe position, which which these MLB and these other organizations are, are, are pushing. And then the other part of it is, with MLB in particular, it's not like the players, right? It's not like the NBA. Where no, the players not at all. Rasp or stuff. It's the complete opposite. It's totally tap-down tap corporate. And that's just the corporate power is on the side of the liberals. And the liberals, they have to pretend like they are – you know, against them, but they're not. They're on the same side. That's your team. Enjoy. Well, all you need to do is just look at the records of donations to Joe Biden in the last election cycle, and it's. Sure. All, I mean, he's he had more sure. money out of Wall Street than, um, and the rest of the corporations than uh, you know Trump could even imagine to have. And I think the other thing when I look at Major League Baseball, I think Major League Baseball. I think again, Rob Manfred has done himself a disservice because he thinks he's going to capture the same stop, fan stop. base. Well, he thinks – so, again, these big corporate idiots, these guys, they live up in these glass houses. Rob Manfred's walking around thinking the same fan of Major League Baseball is the same as the NBA and uh, uh, NFL. It's a total different fan. It's a, total, yeah. it's, a totally, it's a totally different human being. And regardless of, of color, creed, or, or nationality, I mean, you go to a baseball game – and you're going to talk to people from, of course, of course a, a wad swath. They're completely different than an NFL fan or an NBA fan. I mean, for, forget about it. I mean, uh, this idea that Major League Baseball fans are, you know, again, you know, you if you're the NFL and the NBA, it's like you kind of have to make a play, right? Because your 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 fan base is an is an urban fan base, especially the NBA, right? It's you got an urban fan. I don't base. think you have to for all of them. I mean, well, I, think... I, I don't think you have to, but I think if you're gonna, at least the NBA can justify it and say, well, fifty percent of our fans probably think this way. So I we're think it was be... more of the players, you know. But I, but also I think 
someone like like Mark Cuban, if I were him, I mean, if I were an NBA team owner and you're going to try to placate your black players by doing that, you know what? Why not build like a, an 80 Celtics team? And particularly if you're someone like, uh, like Mark Cuban, you, you got Porzingis and you got Luca. I mean, you have a, like build a nucleus around that and be like, Hey, like, you know, we're going to be, we're going to be like the pro kind of like anti-crime. We're not going to be in favor of, we're not going to bow down to the black lives matter thing. And if that's, I mean, we're, we're welcome to players of all races, but if, if you're going to, that's a problem for you and you want to take a knee, then take another, pick another team, something like that. And then, you know what? Maybe most of the NBA players hate you. Maybe most of the NBA fans hate you. Okay. Wrestling is heels too. You can be like the heel team. That's good for ratings too, right? Well, I, I want to get the, the back to baseball because I think Gary is right there. I think the Major League Baseball general fan is much more a Trump person than uh, Manfred thinks. And I think uh, as much as Manfred thinks that he's satisfying the corporatists, he's angering his, uh, his core base. Uh, basically, if you go into politics, uh, the, the voter. The Major League Baseball fan is normally older. They, they teach their, uh, their children the game. That's how I learned the game from my father. And quite frankly, it's from generation to generation. It's not like basketball or football. It's basically kind of Americana. It's kind of uh, basically what what... Uh, family sports were built on in this country and I, I don't think Manfred really understands that when, um, because if you look at the voter uh, Georgia law I mean if you go by point by point people don't disagree with the points that if you hear what uh, the general news media says yeah they're going to say oh yeah that's terrible but if you take them point by point, it, um, not having food within 150 feet, well, you, you don't want to be hassled uh, within that time frame. Most of, the, uh, most of the states already have that. They have some type of buffer where you're not being bothered or hassled within a certain um, footage of a uh, polling place or a partisanship. Yeah, it's it's all it's all bogus, and obviously the electioneering, I think, is what it's called, where you go but, there and you're. But then I I think Manfred is is miscalculating, like Gary's saying, they're not the NBA, they're not the NFL. I mean, quite frankly, you go to a major league baseball game, you're going to get some older people that tend to be more conservative. Todd, let me run something by. This is a tweet about baseball couple of days ago by a guy named Cicero or going by Cicero MT 63 on Twitter. This is what he said. Baseball's fortune has long tracked the countries an explosion of riches in the twenties, a post-war golden age an eighties peak and an early nineties slump followed by a revival backed by artificial injections and built on lies. Now we've hit the corporate sanitized fake and gay decline. Your thoughts, Todd. That's awesome. Exactly. I couldn't say it better myself. He just he forgot to say something about a runner starting on second base and extra inning, <laughs> which is the biggest bunch of bullshit I've ever 
seen in my life. I agree, that's the, Neil. That's that. You know what they call that? What the fuck is that like like you know what they call that? As everything else that's bad from that place, that's called a cal the California rule. Because that started in California, and for, for like, kids for kids playing baseball, so they could end the games quicker. Right, right. Because they they want baseball to be less boring, so it appeals to more people. I get it, right? But I I, I mean, it, they started it last year in the sixty game season, the COVID thing, and and I was just happy to play to see baseball. So whatever. But now it's a come on, man. What the fuck right. is this? Like Todd said, this is professional sports. Todd said a while back, he says this is in high school is professional sports. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? You're starting. Well, and uh, Dave's point. They were going to get a trophy at the end of the game, too. Baseball has tracked the the United States history very well. I mean, we they had racial problems at one point before Jackie Robinson broke in. Uh, basically, everything that you said, uh, Dave, and the Cicero uh, tweet, I agree with. Quite frankly, it's Steroids. mirrored mirrored the the nation really. And I think that people have grown up with that. Quite frankly, that's why, even though football is more popular, there is something to going to a baseball game or watching a baseball game in the background during the summer to have something on because, quite frankly, it's comfortable. And, and quite frankly, when I was telling Gary kind of as a joke, I don't want Manfred to be messing with my baseball. I just want to be able to be able to sit back on a sunny Saturday night and watch my team play, the Seattle Mariners, who've done nothing in their history, but that's fine. But you know, don't don't mess with that. I'm I'm I baseball is the one sport I could wax poetic about for for hours. It's basically romantic to me, and I, I don't like Rob Manfred trying to inject his politic politics into basically my favorite sport george, george will who's kind of a dork and um kind of yeah <laughs> well just b- before i say something positive about him i have to set up i have to set expectations <laughs> there was uh what was his name william finnegan or something the guy who had that book barbarian days his memoir surfing life but he had some line about like in the late 70s or something he first read a George Will column and he burst out laughing and it was an appropriate reaction. But he did have one good column about his son who was retarded and um, about how I think he worked for the Nationals or something. And But he would go as a spectator sometimes and that he could sit in the stands, I guess, before COVID and he could have a beer and he could be just like anyone else. And he called it something like People were all equal in the Republic of Baseball, something like that, and it, it seemed like a nice, yes, a, a nice uh, piece. I, I I don't know if you know this, but I have cerebral palsy. I'm disabled. That's exactly how I feel. Oh wow! Okay, I, I didn't uh, know you uh, had cerebral palsy. Yeah, I, uh, but... I walk with a limp. But quite frankly, um, when I go to the ball game, I can talk to a person about the game, and they're like, "Oh, you know baseball? Okay, great." We, we don't, yeah. you know, and it's just, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very. Yeah, sports, sports are important that way. Yeah. I remember when I was in the hospital uh, once it was, you couldn't pay attention to a lot of stuff, but it was kind of like a respite. You'd see a game on and you could watch it and take and, you out of your, your current situation. 
when there's, there's just something that I had a visceral reaction. I expect the NBA to do that. I expect yeah. the NFL to do that. You mess with baseball, MLB, no. I, I don't I draw the line there. Well, I think Todd brings up an interesting point, and you can see why there's a decline in baseball. And I would argue that there's and I know the guys always kind of get on me a little bit for being more the taking the cultural take, but I think the decline in baseball is really rooted in the decline of the family and the decline of the father-son relationship in our society, because what Todd said is his father taught him baseball. Um, I think every, every kid's old man. I mean, my dad was not a big baseball guy, but if that was one thing we did, we played catch in the backyard a little bit. Um, my dad, my dad played other sports in his youth and was better at those sports. So he focused on that, but we still had baseball to come around to. The other thing about baseball is you need to have some sort of uh, bandwidth. And I think people today don't really have, um, they lack um, the, I, I guess, for, well, the attention span and the intelligence almost to kind of just be able to follow a baseball game. For instance, I, I go to, I'm very lucky. Todd invites me to a lot of games. We go to a lot of games together and I love going to games with Todd. Cause we we're, we're big baseball guys. We are still, and I, are you guys going now? <clears throat> well, we not, th- not this year, but up until COVID, right. We would, okay, I mean, okay. co- up until COVID, I would say I at least went to about 20 games a year with Todd. Todd probably did three times the amount of that on his own or inclu- including that 20 probably did an additional 40 on his own or with other friends. Right. And then I'm a big, I was a big minor league ball guy. So I was going around, my wife and I would go to a lot of minor league baseball games. And the one thing I love about a baseball game is that because there is a lot of downtime, it's like Todd and I will engage in discussion. And then we would, we would go and we would talk to people would sit, to the left and right of us. And they'd say, Oh, you guys, boy, you talk a lot about, you know, these players, you know, I, I used to know so-and-so next thing, you know, you it, it's, I mean, it, it, again, not to sound romantic, but it had more of a, a, a community feel or a communal. Now, if you wanted to go to and the other great thing is of like Todd and I were out with a couple buddies and we wanted to get blasted for all nine innings. You can go get blasted for all nine innings. Right. I mean, you don't have to watch it. You just go ahead there and you're drinking beer and you're hanging out and it's, you're BSing about like so, Todd. You go to almost all the home games. You go almost every. I, go, I I really go to more than half, and I really that's should buy season tickets yeah, because it would be cheaper. But yes, yeah, basically I do. I but, spend my summers at the ballpark. One more thing, Gare. Yeah. But frankly, this is why the our show kind of started because you you talked to me saying, "Hey, we already have conversation at the games. Why don't we just record this?" Yeah, I mean, our, our podcast was really born of bait because we would talk politics and sports at the games. We were like, hey, this would be great, great show. And again, Dave is just sitting there. And you were wrong. You know, watching Dave's sitting there because he's a Pit- Pittsburgh Pirates fan and they're visiting the Mariners. And next thing you know, we're all we're all talking together. I'm just I'm just kidding. I would never make anybody a Pittsburgh Pirate fan. But um, but no, I, I just think uh, when you look at the when you look at the baseball in general you can see why it's in decline because it is such a reflection of of the culture and and americana and um you know i remember uh slow in a time where everything's literally at your fingertips right you you can find anything else in your pocket you just pull your phone out and and you know everything's instant gratification now well baseball is not that 
But see, my dad always told me, though, even though it's slow, there's always strategy. What is the, what's the pitcher going to throw in it? What's the hitter thinking? But we don't even, because it, we're, we're so surface level now that the lot of people can't get into that second layer and just be like getting into the game. They just see a uh, pitch thrown and uh, it's basically boring because it takes another 30 seconds for another pitch to be thrown. So I want to go back to my previous comment about the difference between like the NBA and the NFL fans and, and people in general. And I remember, you know, it was a George Will type story. I don't know who's that, who is it like Mitch album, the, one of those kind of guys who write those real long essays about sports and stuff like that. I'm just picking on Mitch album. I don't think it was from him, but I remember he reading some terrible books about who you meet in heaven, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Taking people's money. <laughs> and, uh, uh, I remember um, reading an article about the plight of they they were they they couldn't figure out why um, people uh, like in the in the black community in the cities weren't playing baseball anymore, and so someone went in and they they did some investigation. And what they kind of found out it was it was multiple levels, and one of the big things were was the cities started uh realizing how so of course within the litigiousness of our society and stuff like that baseball fields were usually in parks and baseball fields and parks are very expensive to maintain and then if somebody gets hurt in those places yada 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 becomes this big huge bureaucratic nightmare um and so what they started to do was dig up the baseball fields and then basically when people would come from the community, like, Hey, you dug up the baseball. We wanted something to, they, they plop in a concrete basketball court. Cause it would, it was easier to maintain. It was cheaper to maintain. You didn't need the amount of maintenance. Um, and then of course, later on with artificial turf, they just put a turf, you know, soccer football field, dual use. Um, and uh, in the beginning of the turf fields, and basically they eradicated baseball outside of the, the urban area. So only the rural kids were playing it. Now you have basically you have rural kids and you have, you know, the Hispanic influence and you really don't have like the black Americans, like your Jackie Robinson's or your satchel pages really involved with that because it's not really there for them in the cities to play. Well, they also are attracted to other sports like basketball. Well, that's, that's true. But if, but Dave, my point is, is if you're walking down a street and you're walking past a basketball court every day and you're not watching all the kids in your high school hitting baseballs, I mean, what's what's the attraction going to be? It's not going to be to baseball unless you're growing out unless you're going out in the suburbs. In the 30s, 40s and 50s, you had in New York something called stickball. You would play stickball in the in the streets, basically. The tennis ball. And uh, quite frankly, uh, that's not popular anymore because. Quite frankly, that's not really encouraged. Or, uh, it's encouraged to play basketball or something like that. Um, you, you know, but uh, the, the demise, basically, uh, at one point in the nation's history, uh, baseball did thrive in the cities. Uh, but that was in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, and we don't have that anymore. Yeah, that goes back to that Cicero tweet, right? Which, And I think the nature, again, not to get, you know, too much into this but i think the natures of cities also change you're not you don't i mean uh, when's the last time you drove in the city 
and the kids had the fire hydrant out and there's 50 kids playing in the fire hydrant. What like you watch those movies like, you know, uh, Bronx Tale and stuff like that. God, I love that movie. Where they're playing stickball and they're, you know, they got the fire hydrant open because it's the They summer. had the big public pool in New York City closed for years. And then they opened it up and like people getting attacked. Remember that? No, I don't. But that makes sense. It was just like in Brooklyn or something. It's this huge, giant public pool with like fountains and everything. And uh, yeah, some girl got like smashed in the nose by some uh, another one. And I think they, I don't I think they closed. Oh, they probably closed for COVID. But it was just they kept it closed just for a while, just because of crime. People were assaulting each other. Yeah, that's, you know, again, the nature, I think, in general, is, is just totally changed. But, but yeah, I, I just think, uh, and I'll, I'll say my piece, and then I'll let, let you guys just say your final pieces, or if you want, whatever. Um, but I just think the corporations, um, you know, what, I just wonder if there'll be enough momentum, because this, again, reminds me of when they had the bathroom bill in North Carolina and Adam Silver looked like a hero pulling the NBA game out of there, their all-star game out of North Carolina or, or, or they didn't. And, and North, I think actually North Carolina changed the law. So they didn't pull the game out, but I also blame Christy Nome because she caved to the NCAA and that opened this up completely now for the corporations and the sports leagues to basically take advantage of uh, any time they feel they stick their finger out in the air and they, they gauge where the wind's blowing, um, they're now going to take these woke uh, stances. So I will, I, I will be curious to see how this works. Cause again, going back to what I said before um, with the media, with the media narrative on all the shooters and how people aren't, don't seem to be buying it as much as they used to. I wonder if that'll be what happens when it comes to all this corporate stuff. And uh, again, I'm going to try to choose as wisely as possible where I put my dollars because I certainly don't want to support corporations who don't have me uh, as their interest. But uh, that that's all I have to say. What, uh, go through the, the roundtable here. Well, I'll just start first here. Um, quite frankly, I think Rob Manfred is, first of all, I think he's probably a Democrat. Second of all, he's listening to the corporatists, all the sponsors and everything, and they don't want the blowback. Uh, they think that they're going to get from this. Uh, so he's just listening to them. He, basically, he's a terrible commissioner. At the, Almighty you know. dollar, right, Todd? Yeah, exactly. He's a terrible commissioner. Uh, you know, He's a commissioner that doesn't like baseball. He actually doesn't like baseball. I've said that for years. Ever yeah, since. you have. Yeah. So, so, you know, so I'm not surprised about this, but um, basically... He's listening to the uh, corporate uh, people like Delta and all those uh, things. And uh, it's unfortunate. Oh, you know, I, I think that uh, they are going to move the game out of Atlanta, probably to Milwaukee or someplace like that. Uh, we'll see. Um, but uh, th this should not be happening. Maybe Minneapolis. Uh, it could be. Could be. <laughs> No, I'm just saying that would be when everything kicks off in the summer. I I could see that, actually. But, uh, yeah, so it's it's truly unfortunate. I really, you know, Gary, you know, you don't want to put your dollars into Major League Baseball. You know, I'm different. I just love baseball, and I'm just like, I'm, I'm, it's not going to change. But that's just me. 
you know, Dave, what do you think? I think you had a good point in that tweet you said about the the voter ID thing that that people should go to the will call window and ask for tickets, picking some random guy's name, and then let them ask you for ID. Yeah, I I just think that if we I think this summer you should get two or three, you know, if you got ten of your buddies together, you just go to the will call window and you say, hey. Uh, tickets for us, uh, you know, Smith. And they're like, Oh, John, you're like, yeah. And they're like, Oh, okay. Here's four tickets. Hey, can I see your ID? You just go like, no, why, why do you need to see my ID? And then, and then when they go, well, yeah, you know, of course, cause the poor lady at the, the, the desk is going to be a complete doofus and probably, or guy is going to be complete doofus and not get it. Then you go, well, I want to speak to a manager. And then you just take it all the way up. Say, Hey, listen, you're representing major league baseball. I don't need an ID to, uh, pick who carries the nuclear codes, uh, you know, to launch nuclear missiles. So apparently, why do you need to know who I am to get into this baseball game? Give me the tickets. I'm John Smith. Trust me. Why would I lie to you? Hey, we always get told that vote, you don't need voter ID because there's no voter fraud where there's no baseball ticket fraud. There's no baseball ticket fraud either. So give me my baseball tickets. Have a nice day. There's no fraud involved. And then I'll, I'll just go and enjoy the game on uh, John, on John Smith. Thanks, Mr. Smith. In so many other areas, uh, they require ID. Quite frankly, I went to my bank and I'm not blaming them. I went to my bank. Blame they, them. They wanted to see my ID. Fucking scumbags. I showed them and they said, I'm sorry, I can't accept this. It's expired. So I, I'm going to have to get a new ID, which is fine. You know, but but they said that they couldn't accept it, even though it showed my picture. You could tell it was me. Why didn't you but decry the, them as racists? The date, the date was uh, expired. I guess uh, uh, my birthday uh, last year in 2020. I didn't even know that. But uh, for a for a absentee vote in the state of Washington, no problem there. They would never ask because somehow it's racist. You know, so food for thought. Yeah. Neil? Yes? Any thoughts on this before we wrap it up here? No, I think that's an excellent point about um, being more difficult to get into a, uh, a baseball game than, you know, to vote for, you know, who leads our country. But, uh, but no, I had, a, I had a lot of fun tonight. It was a lot of fun. It's always a pleasure talking to you, Dave. Yeah, thanks yeah. for having me, guys. I appreciate it. We love Dave, another Jersey guy, always think, willing to shoot the breeze. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's unfortunate. Like I, I understand when Gary gets uh gets mad and he he chooses to not, or at least he says he chooses to not watch sports because they get so involved in politics, and it shouldn't be. It's really just entertainment. Same thing as turn on fucking Full House or you know a sitcom, but they they choose to uh, be involved in politics because it's all money, right? It's all big business. But uh, that's unfortunate. I can't argue with him when he says that. I just say well, I'm going to watch. Um, so, well, I, and I always, and I just add this one piece, sorry, I saw like the last word, but I add the caveat. It's like, I don't blame you guys. Cause I think we all I think all four, I can speak for all four of us and say, I, I, I just want the same. I just want to be able to watch these. And I don't care if they make a gajillion dollars. I don't care. It's like, 
that's never even really the, it's like, I want to go to the game. I want to watch the game. And it's like, again, I've said it before. If this, if, if guys were to take their own personal money and donate it to this cause or that cause or this cause, that will be on me to decide whether or not I like that player or not. But when it's a collective effort and then they're basically working against my own interests, well, I'm not going to fund my own demise. I'm not going to, that, that's to me is, is just ridiculous, but I can't, I, it's like, I, I have empathy for you because, you know, every guy, I think you said it in one show, you're like, I just want to come home, crack open a beer and watch a game. And it's like, everybody's looking for just that little out, but now they've poisoned every single possible. Well, that was good. Yeah, there really isn't. And that's what they want. They want, they want it 24 seven in your life. That's and that's what they're going to get. And so unless you have to, it's hard because they know this, right? It's like you have to separate yourself from that stuff in order to break the chain and then you can get back to it and you have to have that discipline. But until everyone has that collective discipline, we're just going to find ourselves, it's just going to be like sand through our fingers, just slipping through our fingers and we'll go, well, I have some sand in my hand. Yeah, but it's not going to be there forever. And then when you have then, then when there's nothing there, I mean, that's it. So I don't know. Anyway. Well, that is it. That is it. Well, thanks, guys. Uh, that concludes episode 30. Thank you, Dave, very much. It's always great to have you. And um, um, yeah, I'll let you do the sign off. All right. So uh as always, uh, this was uh, Review the News, where, as always, uh, we make the news make sense to you. Um, we want to thank our special guest, uh, Dave, tonight, at D Pinson on Twitter. Give him a follow. Uh, great content there. Good stuff all the time. Um, at uh, Portfolio Armor, uh, some great articles. Uh, Dave writes on Zero Hedge. Fantastic stuff. Um, we'll have to do a whole episode, Dave, one time, just talking about all the, all the economic stuff and all the stuff you do for zero hedge. That'd be a good episode, I think. Sure. Um, uh, and, uh, wall street uh, corruption. Oh yeah. Um, lot that, that'd be, yeah, that'd, that'd be a great episode. Um, and then, uh, we are at, uh, review news 1000 on Twitter. Uh, you can find us at, uh, on anchor.fm and Patreon. And uh, are we uh, are we going to post this show up on Facebook? Are we going to get episode 30 as the first show on Facebook? Could just copy and paste that link in there. And the... We're going to work on it, yeah. We're gonna make no promises. All right. Do we have a Gab account yet? We make no promises. We're working on it. I oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Anyway. Well, thank you, everyone. And uh, that's all. Have a great night and happy Easter. He is risen. Thank you. That's right. Have a good night. <laughs>